Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is episode 141 of the Distraction Pieces podcast, and I am joined this week by the legend that is Dan Hardy. I've had Dan on before. He's he, he's an absolute legend and a beast, and he's just developed so much as a as a commentator and an analyst of mixed martial arts. I'm making it a fight week one because we got the big a UFC London card at the weekend. Um, on Saturday at the O2, I recommend you if you're not there live, you watch um, on 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 BT Sports and all the all all all, all the platform forms through which it will be coming into your face. Um, so I've got a, a fight week this week. I've got Dan Hardy in this episode, and we speak for an hour and 45 minutes. So it's a good in-depth chat. We start, the, the, the main b- body of the podcast is talking about his life, his career, his upbringing, his upcoming book, which is hugely exciting. And then we get into a bit of fight breaking down and things like that. So if you're not an MMA fan, don't like switch off immediately because this is still for you. But then on Friday... I'm giving you another podcast. I sat down with Rory McDonald, who's an absolute beast. Of Bellator, he's, he's headlining the upcoming London card. I only got half hour with him, but it's a hell of a half hour. You're going to enjoy it. Um, before we get into all that, we're brought to you by Speech Development Records. As ever, speechdevelopmentrecords.com. Head there and buy some merch, support the podcast. I feel like I say this and you kind of you zone out. And, and, and move on and ignore it that's fine i understand that as as you're listening to this i'm in la at the moment so i've pre-recorded these episodes no in fact as you're listening to this one i've just got back from la so ignore that hopefully in la i've recorded some good guests but we shall see i'm there to hustle oh before we get into the podcast um my club night we are lizards returns to the book club on march 25th and i want to see as many of you down there as possible it was amazing at the last one it's the most people I've had down that were talking about the podcast and have heard about it on the podcast. I've been doing the club night for four years and I'm there from doors till closing, kind of just hanging out with everyone, having a laugh. I do my DJ set under a a rubber lizard mask. So I sweat and play banging tunes for for an hour. But other than that, I'm about and chatting to you lovely, lovely people. So come down on March 25th, the book club um, in London. Doors are at 8pm. It's free before 9 p.m um so come on down you can get on the q jump list if you follow me on instagram you'll see that by about 10 11 ish we normally have queues around the block you can get on the q jump list by sending your name to info at the trash society.com that's info at the trash society.com i will have posted about it online as well so check that out come hang out with me eddie temple morris Cutmaster swift dj destruction discotech credits um Redshift Rebels, aka Chris, aka Craig, Disco Stew, um, aka Stew, off the drunk cast and off of hardcore listing. So yeah, come and check us out. Um, I want to I mention that Dan Hardy, we do discuss it in here, but he's got a book coming out, and it comes out on Thursday, the twenty third of March. And I've had my book out. You all supported me so hugely with the Distraction Pieces book. Um, and pre-orders are really important. So if you can head over to Amazon and pre-order Dan's upcoming book, that would be fantastic. Um, if you want to get it signed, on March 22nd, he's at the Waterstones in Nottingham at 6.30. On March 23rd, he's at Manchester Arndale Centre at 5.30. March 24th, Waterstones, Leadenhall, London at 12.30. Thursday, the 30th of March, he's in Waterstones, Brighton. No, not Brighton, Birmingham at 5.30. 
Friday the 31st of March. He's at Eason's Dublin at 12.30. Then Tuesday the 4th of April, he's at Waterstones in Edinburgh at 12.30. And then at Waterstones in Glasgow at 6pm. So go and, go and support the man and, and, and hook that goodness up. He's a wonderful dude. I'm going to, as this is a long podcast, I'm going to just I'll, I'll let this go straight in. This is episode 141 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Dan Hardy. Right, um, I'm here. Uh, once again, this is the first ever in-person repeat guest I've had on the podcast. I'm joined by Dan Hardy. How are you doing? I'm really good, mate. It's good to be here. Again. It's been it's been a while, isn't it? it so it, it it felt warranted. I've I've had B Dolan on a few times, but that's always over Skype, um, and it's normally because he's got some new uh, some governmental party he's, he's trying to t- <laughs> t- take down, and I'm like, yeah, we should do a podcast about this. Let's. <laughs> Who's taking down today, Pep? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm really busy. I'm really busy, which I, I, is exactly how I like to be. I was going to say it's, it's one of the reasons. Is instantly as as soon as the option of doing this um, came up, you've been so busy since the last podcast. Anyway, uh, we've got tons to talk about. I need to put a little prerequisite at the start that we talk loads in real life so i can't remember what we talked about on the podcast and what we've talked about him so if we repeat anything i apologize to any listeners now if we go over any old ground it's how can you remember yeah. which conversations were us in the fighting talk studio in at yeah. a ufc and which were over text message at yeah, four o'clock in the morning exactly when the are on. Exactly. <laughs> exactly it's a hard one but um yeah you've been insanely busy as as, as since then going from strength to strength um presenting wise and and with the all of the breakdown shows are going down an absolute tree i think uh, you and john have kind of secured it as you two oh robin black uh, oh robin black is fantastic and jack slack are my Uh the like youth that's my three three go-tos to to have fake knowledge when i watch the fights live (laughs) (laughs) but um yes so how's all that been it's been awesome it's been really cool i mean it's been strange because when I when I was offered the job with the UFC, it wasn't yeah. to be an analyst. Yeah, and the, really the so so the, the two roles in commentary is obviously the play by play role, which was Goldie and now John Annett, mm-hmm. um and John Gooden as well, and then there's the the color role, which is the whoever sits by them, so Rogan or one of the fighters, so Stan, yeah, DC, Cruz, or, yeah, DC, yeah, you know. So they've got a few options there. Now that's become more of an analyst role. Yeah. Um, and they're using the other guys on Fox and this and that. <clears throat> so when we started doing the Inside the Octagon over here, I wasn't really sure where it was going to go. And I'd never really worked as an analyst before. I was mm. just analyzing fights like I would for my own, you know, for like when I was researching an opponent to fight. Yeah. So, I mean, it was all very organic and it was actually quite nice to just remove myself from it entirely and watch two fighters that I'm, I'm a huge fan of and, you know, deconstruct both of them. Yeah, completely. Was there... Did you find... A, a heightened level of honesty in breaking down opponents when they're not your actual opponent because there's got to be something in you that when you're breaking down the opponent that, that you in your head you sh- 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 shit on him a little bit or like that oh he's yeah. not he's not as good as this or not as good whereas now you can go just look at all the the the, the, the positives and negatives and not have that fear of do I have to accept he's better at me than, than wrestling or better at me yeah. than this and that 
it is it is nice to be completely removed from it and to yeah. look at it more honestly as well. And the other thing, which I mean, a lot of people don't know, I do this when I'm preparing, but I'll study a fighter. I watch their whole back catalogue of fights, everything I can get a hold of. <clears throat> I'll make all my notes. I'll, I'll have an idea of what I think they're going to try and achieve in the fight, how they're going to try and achieve it. And then I'll do, do a training session where I will mimic the fighters. Oh, wicked. Um, which is funny because we've just been having a conversation off set, which, which is very very similar to that. It's almost like being a method actor. You kind of... Yeah. Kind of take on skills of fighters, which I never did because I was always it was always me against them. So I would watch them and I would see them and I would I would maybe you know try and pick up a couple of techniques just to understand how they would use them against me. Yeah. But now I'm actually integrating things into my into my uh, my own skill set from just study. I mean, we've just done the the Khabib against uh, Tony Ferguson breakdown, and I mean I learned Mate. sandwich off both of those guys because yeah. they're both very different fighters to to me to my style. It's frustrating. Because we're recording this just before that card, it's going yeah. out just after that card. But what a card! And unbelievable. Habib Ferguson, I think, is 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 the people's headliner, right? It's that's such a matchup. Said. Yeah, I mean that's the feedback from the because we obviously we've done the breakdown show for the yeah. main event as well as the yeah. co-main event. But already the viewing figures for the co-main event breakdown are far higher. Yeah. Um, which which I always find interesting because I like a rematch and I mean yeah completely I, I didn't I wasn't massively thrilled with the first fight with Woodley and Thompson no. I thought it was intriguing but from a fan's perspective it didn't you know it didn't get me fired up like a Diego Sanchez yeah. Clay Guida kind of, of fight but it was it was fascinating in how how the two styles you know worked against each other and and it's a fascinating one for a rematch because you've got Someone like Thompson, who again we were kind of discussing this off 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 mic earlier, is he's a very he's 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 got a lot of fight intelligence. He's a yeah. very intelligent and calm in, in, intelligent guy. So you, you feel those guys once they've had five rounds with someone could potentially learn more and figure them out. But yeah. you know, a Woodley is with, with is with one of the best camps in the world, and I'm not saying he's not got the same fight intelligence, but I think he is more of a. a a passion fighter, an yeah. explosive go at it, cunning. So it makes it an interesting rematch. But the the build up to Tony and, and Nurmagomedov couldn't have gone better for for preparing for it. The fact that Nurmagomedov in his last fight looked absolutely devastating, but also got caught. So it, it suddenly opens a yeah. question you'd never had before, and you had Ferguson dem- demolishing the former champ and one of the best at, at that weight class. So. It's a perfect storm. Yeah, it's it's that that shot that Michael Johnson landed was the question that we needed to give this fight a more balanced feel. Hundred percent, because yeah. Khabib's unbeaten. Yeah, and he's coming in against Tony Ferguson, who's got losses on his record. Yeah. You know, and a loss to Michael Johnson, who had obviously you know just lost to Khabib. Yeah. So, I mean, common opponents are always interesting, but MMA math never really works out, does it? it, it, it I, never I think does. I've got a win over Fedor if you follow my record. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like one of them. It's yeah, like yeah. you know, I beat. Technically. Akihiro Gono, that's my doorway to all of my... Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. He, he beat loads of good people, so... There's people like um, Gono or Crow Cop or, or someone like it. that are, your, are, are basically the Kevin Bacon of, of the MMA world. You can, <laughs> you, you can get to almost any fight. A Nagera. A Nagera will get you to almost any fighter <laughs> yeah. if, you've, if, yeah. if, if you've got that win or that fight. Um, but, I mean, it's also... That fight, I think, couldn't have gone better for... Khabib because it sets up a potential fight with Connor all the more excitingly yeah. because of that that getting caught and everyone knowing the weight of Connor's hands yeah. um, and the hype around uh, uh, this event has kind of highlighted the how big 
how big Habib is. And I saw an article headline on the way here. I didn't get a chance to read it, but it said, um, is Habib bigger than Conor McGregor or actually bigger than Conor McGregor? And obviously they're they're not meaning, because Conor is the biggest MMA star of all time. But you look on, just pick an example. I'm sure we both follow Joe Rogan Mm -hmm. on Instagram. Um, If he posts anything, there's a million comments from a Russian saying (laughs) Habib time or Dana or Dana as well. Just anything, there'll be... A post about absolutely anything. There'll be hundreds of comments. Habib time. Habib yep. time. Yeah. And even I use that in the gym. Yeah. Now. As soon as I get the legs bound and, and try, <laughs> I triangle both the legs together up against the fence. Yeah. That's that's Habib time. Yeah. That's perfect. But yeah, it's it's kind of that. It's weird how there's an element and 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 Ronda and Tyson were examples of this, I guess. Where if you've if you look too undefeatable. It starts to lose a bit of its yeah. appeal. I remember that with Tyson, where I'd st- I'd stay up for those fights, and then you get to the point where it's like it's over in twenty seconds. Yeah. It's like, is it worth me staying up all this time? So that slight frouty of uh-huh. Habib, I think, was yeah. yeah. Pe- like people want superheroes, but they also want the superheroes to be just a little bit vulnerable. Yeah, no one would like Superman if it wasn't for Kryptonite. That's yeah. my theory. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because th- there needs to be a way for them to fail in order for them to win every time. And again, it's that... Uh, I think uh, an example is the the universal hate of... Um, or not, not not universal, but the quite widespread hate of John Jones at points yeah. is because he's always just looked th- that good and that makes it hard to relate. And Anderson had similar hate when he had a few fights that were boring and he just looked too cocky. And then Chael beat him up for five rounds, but he got through that. Yeah. And I think that reinvigorated Anderson and kind of made people go, wow, what an amazing, what a champion, rather than this guy's just better than everyone and he's not even trying that hard (laughs) anymore. He's just going, yeah, it's it's that easy. Yeah. It makes it relatable and grounds it a bit, I guess. People like me far more after I've been beaten up four times in the UFC. (laughs) (laughs) Especially after Anthony Johnson beat me up. I think there was a lot of pity there. (laughs) There's a lot of people feeling sorry for me. Yeah, that was that was. It still blows my mind that that Rumble was ever um, a welterweight, uh, a middleweight, anyway. Yeah, he'd have to lose a leg now to make one seventy. Probably, probably a leg and an arm. I mean, he's he's such a massive human being. Yeah, even at one seventy, was but yeah, yeah, he's a, a a big old lad. So, so how's everything going, kind of health wise? Um, just to say, we are going to a breakdown UFC London a little bit as well at the end. But I like to leave that till the end. So people who aren't <laughs> MMA fans can just... It's a conversation. Yeah. Um, the, a thing that's intrigued me hugely is your ever-evolving rig at your um, uh, at your place. How's that all coming along? It's, it's amazing. It's hit a whole new level yeah. th- this last weekend. Um, Every time yeah. I think I'm seeing a post that is finished, it, a it month is. later I see a new one that's... <laughs> now we're building this and this and this. <laughs> well, the, the reason that that happens is, and a lot nobody knows this, but the person that built the rig for me is my original martial arts instructor. Oh, wow. The person that I started training with when I was six, his name is Mick Rowley. And yeah. if anybody reads my book, they'll read all about him because he was a, a very, very influential person in my life. Yeah. You know, a, a very good martial artist in his own right, a great fighter, but a great coach and a good friend. And it, it just so happens that he's an awesome metal worker as well. Wow. So I went to him and I explained what I wanted and, uh, and the guys that he worked with were laughing at him because he, we'd built the rig. He came to my place, he measured the room up and we, we built the rig and designed it and it was set up in his workshop 
And then every day he'd come into work and he'd think, oh, I can add that to it. And he'd build up a new piece. And, now, you oh, know. Oh, oh, what a find to, to have someone whose mind is in both of those worlds. Right. I had, I, at the end of last a year, I had a, I had a salmon ladder built in my, in, my, in my back garden. And explaining what I wanted and what it was to a metal worker, it took me ages. They were just like, what, what, what's it? There was no, no understanding of it. It's no. great now, and, and it's there, and it works, and it's sturdy. But, um, yeah, to have someone who's building the rig, but also comes from a martial arts and yeah. training background, at least. Yeah, and somebody who is I mean, we should obsessed. explain what a, a rig is. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's going to be your big cage or unit to, to, to do a multitude of exercises yeah. in for full-body um, functional workouts, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I got the idea from from CrossFit basically. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing that's really pioneered the, the rig, the CrossFit rig. But that's just a basic, you know, hexagonal, uh, sorry, re- rectangular framework. Yeah, it's yeah. there's nothing particularly complicated about it. Now you can go to different gyms and you'll see they've like they've added a punch bag onto it or you know whatever. Now the the room that is the gym in my house is an awkward shape and it's got a, a slightly sloped ceiling on one side right. and because it's an old building it's 120 years old all the floors crooked and the walls are leaning yeah. weird so it had to be specially made for my house yeah and because the space is quite limited I did I've always wanted a space where I've got everything I need yeah, yeah. and I was convinced that the space I had was adequate enough yeah. even if it was a weird shape so I went to Mick and we sat down and I told him all the things that I wanted and I'd, I'd drawn loads of stuff up because I, I was fortunate enough to have done graphic design yeah. at college so I was able to I can do three dimensional drawings oh, wicked. well that and part of because Mate, I've... at some point I'll show you the shit drawing I sent to the person who was building my salmon <laughs> <laughs> I was like kind of we had this and that would be good yeah well, that's good that's handy yeah. well, you know, and I've built enough Lego sets to be able to yeah, see yeah, things yeah, three yeah. dimensionally so I, I drew up a basic rig and then you know, he's added things to it, and we've had adapted things. And the amount of times I would, I'd send him something, I'd say, "Okay, this, I'm thinking of adding this to it," and mm. change it. He'd say, "Well, we need to attach a wing chun dummy to it, or we yeah. need to put pulleys on there." I, I've always, I always thought that he'd be the person to do it because, I mean, Bruce Lee had a guy that would make all of his yeah. tools for him. Yeah. I, I couldn't think of a better person, and also because he's, you know, he's in good enough shape and you know he's, he's still young and strong enough yeah. to be able to come over and train with me as well so I want to be able to get some of that old school traditional martial arts back into my training I love that I love that and I think I think CrossFit gets a, a hard a hard rub at times because I, I started doing it um, beginning of last year and it's been absolutely a life change and it's got me in better shape than I've ever been in one of the routines I've been sent several times is one of yours right so it's weird you'll <laughs> say Today, as you warm up, here's a video that from Dan Hardy's website. Like, all right, I'll work out with Dan, Dan for the morning, so that's nice. But um, right. yeah, again, b- because there's this view of it being post a picture every time you work out, and it's all competitive and all yeah. in the gym together and all being over the top. But it doesn't have to be. Like I said, I've been doing it for a, a year and a bit. I think I've posted about it twice online, but yeah. I've loved it. I think the, the the fact that it's full body and functional that surely translates brilliantly for a mixed martial arts because it's not just oh we're building up a bicep which what you're going to do with that bicep you're going to you know it's it's kind of it's a weird one so has that been a new a a lease of life to your your fitness and training essentially yeah I I mean 
<clears throat> I was uh, I was using a CrossFit jig, uh, gym in, uh, in in Las Vegas before I left, mainly yeah. because my my wife was using a rigging point. They had aerial yeah. rigging points, oh, so course. she was in there training, and then I would go and, uh, and and work out. And I just I found this because it was just it was a big open space that you could just throw things around in and sweat and get grimy and throw chalk all over the place. You know, it wasn't one of those nice, polished, clean. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm not pointing fingers, but a Virgin Active kind of place. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? That's, no, I know what you mean completely. Just, everybody's there wearing like you know, headbands and Ed Hardy T-shirts, and yeah. you know they've, they've spent three hours doing their hair and makeup yeah. before they got to the gym. Yeah, like that. That's not my kind of place. So I wanted something that was just basic and solid and immovable. And I've always wanted to be able to tie a bunch of bags up at the house and. It's got everything, basically. It's got everything that I need. Yeah. Now, the only thing that we're talking about adding on is to somehow put a cage wall in there. Brilliant. Um, but we'll, we'll figure that out. But we're actually looking at offering these to other people as well. We're actually looking at, at you know, turning it into a business. Yeah. It's um, a great idea, the bespoke element of it yeah. and, and having that expertise. I, f- I feel I have to give a shout-out. And if you're ever in the, in the North East, but the guy who, who sends me my exercise every day is, is Sam Marshall at, um, at CrossFit Ch- Chesterley Street. And again, it's exactly that. They got a big empty room yep. and I made it hard and ugly and rough and aggressive, but yeah, it's an amazing space, thing. right? It's a yeah. workspace. Yeah, That's exactly. It, it occurred to me to give that shout out because as you were saying that, I remembered when I first met Sam Marshall and we were playing um, Xbox Online, his, 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 his game attack was the outlaw nice so he's a fan <laughs> it just suddenly occurred to me that I'm talking about his gym with you and I've not given it a shout so yeah it's, it's it's great but so what's your kind of plan health wise then because you're posting a lot you've of of your training and, and you're looking sh- sharp your, your footwork's looking good and again I guess if you're doing all these breakdowns and you're just you're saying you're learning a lot mm. but the last time we spoke there was a hope to come back at some point is that is that still the the yeah. desire and the goal? Yeah, I, I would. I mean, there's there's definitely still a drive to fight. I would definitely yeah. like you know a couple more. I, I, I've always said everybody that asks me, I always say the same thing. I'm not interested in the belts and the rankings and yeah. stuff. I don't want to get in and and start fighting contenders that are on the rise that are looking at you know still becoming champion. Yeah. I, I'm looking at you know a couple of fights against veterans that know their know their game know the sport and have, uh, you know smart wily guys that are you know established in their in their MMA careers yeah. and there are a lot of fun fights out there of guys that would really challenge me and because yeah. because I'm in this role where I it's my job to study and to pull these fights apart and and the other thing as well is that I used to watch I used to watch very select fights when I was fighting I would pick out guys that I wanted to watch and emulate and try and you know, learn from. And the other guys on the rest of the card that I felt were making too many mistakes, I would ignore it because yeah. I felt like it was making me worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, because I watch it all, I can see the patterns throughout the sport. So when That's I'm, yeah. So when I'm in the gym, I'm able to, I'm able to flow far, far easier from one thing to another without really having to think about it. Yeah. And I'm actually, I'm far more connected to my reptilian brain, which was something that I, I started to understand in my last two fights, really. Yeah. Dwayne Ludwig and Amir Sadala, I, I, I started to understand it, and I, I mean, in, in the Ludwig fight, that's what got the knockout, because I, yeah. I was living in that space. Yeah. But there's a real disconnect from the physical and the mental in mixed martial arts, and I feel like like bringing forward the mental and, and being, being able to connect with that space is what's going to not only move my martial arts forward, but move the sport forward generally. I mean, we're, we're seeing lots of psychologists getting involved yeah. now. And, you know. I think... 
Dominic Cruz is a great mm. example of that, of his fluidity and ability to just change. And it was really interesting in one of, of Robin Black's breakdowns when he was doing TJ v Cruz. He was saying, as great as TJ is, he's learnt drills and he can move from that drill to that drill. Yep. Cruz, it's just a natural, a fluid thing. He's not moving from this drill to this drill. He's just throwing what comes naturally and that's that's the advantage he saw. But yeah, yeah I mean, it's exciting the thought of, of, you, of you coming back for some some, some big fights, some, some fun fights. You could be a great excuse for Bisping to dodge... A, a, a Jacare and Romero a little longer after <laughs> after he's done with GSP if he if, if he really wants that reason but but um, uh, what did you, and and we were texting about it and we kept it like but what did you think of of of, of young Michael Gall because um, it cracked me up I, yeah. I, I said to you yeah. I think he's 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 a very clever a young kid at picking fights he can't lose in that if he loses to Dan Hardy former title contender he's he's had three fights or four fights it's no big thing if he loses to Sage Northcutt which everyone wants to believe is the ultimate fighting machine yeah it's it's no big loss if he lost to, to CM Punk I mean that was the one I guess that was that would have been a big loss because you've lost to someone who's got no experience but yeah after that I think I think it's clever but did that kind of did, did it, that make you laugh <laughs> did it piss you off did it no, what was your reaction? It, it didn't piss me off at all. It took me completely by surprise. I mean, as you know, we, we always stay up and watch the pay-per-views yeah. when, when we can, and, and I was sat watching it live, and yeah. immediately Twitter broke, and everyone's <laughs> everyone's you know asking me if I'm going to fight him. And, of course it did. You know, I, I, I love his enthusiasm, and I, and I do love the fact that he's, he's calling what he wants, because yeah. there aren't enough people doing that. You know, that we need people that are more certain of themselves, and, and it's yeah. surprising that he is being what four fights into his career yeah you know I mean the, really the sky's the limit for him yeah just, just having that forward thinkingness of saying well the fact is you spent all this time training and then you get this short moment on the stage and then you're off again because there's another fight and there's a bigger fight and you're not headlining so it's that idea of making them go away with something that makes them remember you and talk about you and yeah, yeah. Give you somewhere to go after that. Yeah, and he's naturally a very charismatic kid. And I mean, let's be honest. If if he manages to get the the world title at some point in the future, it, it would be a movie. I yeah. mean, you know, going from you know looking for a fight, yeah. calling out CM Punk to getting that fight and the confusion around that matchup. So having to fight somebody. I mean, yeah. it's you know, it, it's fascinating. Hundred percent true. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching him develop. I mean, from my personal perspective, it's that's just not a fight that, that would interest me at all. No. You know, he's. He's, you know, he's a kid in the sport, and I am a veteran, and yeah. you know, I'm an old man. I've got grey hair in my beard, and, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. like I've had, I've had what, well, forty odd fights. You know, yeah. I, I need someone that's more established in their game, and there are yeah. a lot of guys out there that, that, are, you know, they look sharp and they they're having great fights, and they're still evolving later on in their career, um, and a lot of fun challenges. I mean, you know, as it's funny as, because on on paper, it's actually a hard one for a commission to sanction. Well, yeah, just because of the win, the win, a win-loss record. And yeah. Again, he's b- b- built enough of a name so it would work. But as genuinely as, as someone that gets taken into account and looked at to see if it's a level playing field and all that, and yeah, yeah, 
I mean, yeah, you know, he he's a kid that's going to develop and he's going to do big things. There's no doubt about it. He's got he's got the skills already. You know, he's still green. He's still learning a lot. There's still a lot of holes in his game, and and I'm looking forward to watching that development, especially because he's found the world stage at such an early yeah. early stage in his career. Yeah. It's very rare that we get somebody so early on in their MMA career in the UFC. I mean. I can't think of many guys that have no. had less than sort of you know eight, nine, ten fights. Even yeah. the guys that are signed with eight fights are usually unbeaten. So, um, um, unless they've come through tough, yeah. Again, yeah. It's, it's 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 literally you have that you have that 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 built up experience and record to even tough as a three fight minimum now. I believe. So, yeah. You know it's. Yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be a, a fun prospect to watch develop. Yeah, but for me, I would just I would struggle to motivate myself for that. You know, especially because I only see myself having, you know, maybe two or three fights. Yeah, you know, my contract has three fights on it, and and I think that's realistic. I'm I'm 35 this year, and and I don't want to be fighting three times a year again. Yeah. My, my main role is now with the UFC as a, as a commentator and analyst. Yeah, because. Really, if I'm honest with myself, I feel like I serve the sport much better in, in that role. Completely. When, when, when I'm, I mean, I kind of when we were doing um, fighting talk on on BT, there was a few times I kind of half mentioned it to you. Then that the first time I heard you saying that you wanted to get back in, I was kind of like, man, like, I'm a massive fan of watching you fight, but I think you're smashing it. You, you, you you've you've gone on to have a career afterwards, and that's. Yeah. Not always an easy thing for fighters. It's a it's it's a dangerous area. So it was kind of of that feel. But then I said, hearing you or, or number one, seeing you seeming to be in the best shape of your career, and hearing how you feel again, fight um, intelligence and, and mentality wise, you've developed hugely over these years. That yeah, it's an yeah. interesting one. In, uh, my boxing coach said it to me when I when I first got sidelined. Uh, his name's Jimmy Gifford, and he's yeah. absolute legend. Yeah. He's, he's Lorenzo's boxing coach as right. well. He's yeah. you know he's a he's a very good guy. South South Boston. He's you know Great. loads of character. Yeah. Um, he said to me, "In a year's time, you'll see the sport completely differently." Because yeah. he came from boxing. He was he'd been a and oh, he was yeah. specifically a corner man. He started a corner in pros at thirteen. So you know he's yeah. he's been in around professional combat sports for a long time and. When he made the crossover to mixed martial arts, he was basically brought out to Vegas and sat in a room with, well, it would have been UFC to sort of one to sort of, I don't know, 110 about around yeah. then. And he just sat and watched every one of them back to back and watched the sport evolve. Oh, wow. And he's absorbed it like a sponge and he's taken his boxing knowledge. And That's amazing. And, and he said the same thing to me. He said, when you watch that volume of fights, I mean, I probably watch four hours of fights a day. Mm. You know, even when I'm in the gym, I've got, you know, I'm in the reptile house. I've got my laptop set up on the on the uh, the windowsill, and I'm I'm just absorbing all the time, whether it's Glory or EBI or you know Polaris or yeah. some obscure MMA show that you know that I'm, I find online. I watch it all. I want to see it all because the sport is evolving so quickly. I I, I feel like I don't want to miss a beat. You know, yeah. I want to see everything. <laughs> it's it's what's amazing about Fight Pass is there there is that accessibility. To- to that amount of, of fights now, it's my theory on why the Ultimate Fighter has started to s- struggle s- slightly. Because I remember that in the early days of that, it was exciting to get an MMA show every week. Yeah. Whereas now you've got access to so much, it's hard to make that reality MMA show appeal as much as potentially. Again, if if you look on Fight Pass, you've got a, a glory event of the weekend or yeah. EBI or whatever else. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, I I agree. One. I agree. I mean. 
I, I always enjoyed the Ultimate Fighter, but it started to get frustrating when it when it started to play more towards the reality TV aspect and less towards the martial arts. Like I yeah. I always wanted to see athletes preparing for combat, yeah, instead of kids preparing for fights. Yep. You know what I mean? And yep, that's kind of how that. it felt. And, and you know, especially when the Ultimate Fighter house kind of became a bit of a free-for-all. Yeah. And, I mean, alcohol. I don't mind people celebrating a win and having a drink and, yeah. you know, whatever. But when it was when it was such a big part of the show, it, mm-hmm. it, you know, it, for me, it, set, it, put, it put mixed martial arts in a bad light. And I started to gravitate away from it and then just focus on the actual fights themselves. Yeah, completely. But, because it is weird. Because, again, particularly... Well, from the start, because of the the prevalence of BJJ in mixed martial arts, and BJJ, again, it's a thinking man's game, it would mean that the fighters that got to an elite level, your GSPs or any of these, are intelligent, calm guys kind of thing. It's not your meatheads anymore. And occasionally the ultimate fighter would paint a different picture because it would be that kind of, oh... And again, I guess it's a tactic. I always... I thought Mitrione was fantastic when he played the role of yeah. kind of a crazy weirdo <laughs> or an annoying guy. And then at the end, he kind of said, no, I, I got in everyone's head. Yeah. Everyone wants to pick me as their fight, um, which means they're fighting me because they hate me cause, and they're going to fight angry. Yeah. And I'm going to go in there and, and pick them apart and stuff like that. I, yeah, I, see, they're the, that, they're the interesting storylines. Yeah. They're, they're the storylines where you do get to see the the biggest the bigger picture of the sport and yeah. I, and you know the reason that Conor McGregor is is so popular is because of the the psychological warfare and yeah. all the extracurricular activities that are around it which a lot of the time we miss and this is why UFC Embedded is so popular yeah because it's it's a little window inside that fighter's world and I mean that was what I was more interested in when I was coming up than anything else because as a developing fighter I wanted to see if I was doing the right things I want mm. especially in a sport that nobody had the answers to I mean you know we were going to a boxing gym and hitting speed balls and jumping rope and yeah. you know doing bar bag you know yeah. jumping over a bar and hitting a bag as a circuit when in actuality it wasn't really preparing us for mixed martial arts but we, we just didn't know so. and I mean YouTube wasn't really available back then yeah. so you know when that when the internet really kind of connected the world of mixed martial arts. That opened up a lot of doors and a lot of eyes. And, and so many of the gyms would have just been piecing together the bits of knowledge they've got and the bits of stuff they've got. Yeah. So it would just be a bit of a, a mismatch. Um, uh, when this goes out on the Wednesday, on the Friday, I've got uh, Rory McDonald on. And I, I, I spoke to him um, earlier in the week and he was an example of that, of the first generation of people who came through trained as a mixed martial artist, like yeah. purely kind of not coming from one discipline and not at a gym that's claiming it's doing UFC, but it's it's <laughs> it's, it's a it's a boxing gym that's bringing in a bit of wrestling or or, yeah. or, or, or vice versa. So, yeah, it's kind of exciting now that all of that can yeah. come together. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of laughable looking back, and 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 obviously he's fighting Paul, who came yeah. up with me. I mean, we were yeah, of course, we sparred hundreds of thousands of rounds. I have videos of of our old training sessions, yeah. which were just mats in a sports hall with the two of us, oh, wow. shin guards and gloves, and we'd spar forty rounds. Amazing. I'm not joking, forty yeah. rounds. That's we insane. would just be there hours. Yeah, and you know, and I know where Paul's come from. I know what he sacrificed to get to where he is, but he's still very much old school. Yeah, you know, he's he's he was ninjutsu to mixed martial arts, you know, and everything's decompartmentalized in his game, and he's done a good job of you know amalgamating them over the years. But you look at Roy McDonald, who 
effectively started with the sport of mixed martial arts, which is which is kind yeah. of scary. And yeah. I've trained with Rory as well. I, yeah. I was up at Mont- up in uh, in TriStar when I think he was preparing for BJ Penn. Right. And I mean, I've still got Damn, a scar on my elbow. Yeah, that was. He's a monster. He's an absolute beast. I mean, I've still got a scar on my elbow where he smashed me into the cage. He, he's, he's a strong, yeah. strong individual that has no seams in his game. I, 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 I always love hearing anyone of, of our kind of age or era that started off training in, 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 in ninjutsu because you know it came from a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It, it made you go, I want to I be Leonardo or I want to be Donatello. <laughs> so I love the fact that, that that will have been the in route to yeah. going, I want, I want to be a martial artist. Yeah. Like those turtles on that rat. <laughs> if, if I'm not wrong, if I'm not wrong, and I've not spoken to Paul in a couple of years, but if I remember right, it was a combination of ninjutsu and ice hockey Brilliant. that got him to mix martial arts. Brilliant. And I remember, and he was the only person I ever saw stop somebody with low kicks in an amateur fight. Oh wow! Yeah, first time I ever saw it. It was in a sports hall on mats, old yeah. KSBO tournament. So, yeah. so um, we are going to talk about your book that's, that's yeah. coming out, and I've, I've kind of I've been. Sp- been sent a preview and only been able to skim a few bits and it's it's amazing it's a hell of a story but it just made me think there can we talk a little bit about your your starting off in 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 martial arts at kind of at 10 years old in quite rough tough (laughs) unpleasant uh, gyms or, or, or challenging gyms, I guess. Yeah, is the situation. Yeah, there, there were a lot of challenges. I've actually relived a lot of a lot of that old stuff um, of this past weekend as we've been installing my new my new rig in, in yeah. the gym because Mick's been over and we've been going. Oh, you remember that guy? You remember that story? And amazing. Yeah, I mean, I was fortunate to have found that school because I mean, we it wasn't. I mean, it was Taekwondo. It was a Taekwondo school. We had the, the Taekwondo suits and everything. Yeah. But we were grappling and we were hitting hook and jab pads. You know, focus right. mitts. And, yeah. And this was all because my my old instructor was just obsessive about martial arts. You know, he introduced me to to well, Bruce Lee was obviously the main one, but all of those martial arts stars from Jackie Chan to Van Damme to Cynthia Rothrock and wow, you know, everybody in between, Gordon Lau, just all of it. The, all the Golden Harvest movies and. That, he was really the 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 root. I mean, I started with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, as you said, course, as, as, as a lot of kids did from our generation. <laughs> yeah. But yes. but it, that's what got me into the the dojang. Yeah. What kept me there was mixed enthusiasm, and, yeah. and kept me there for what I mean, seventeen years. I trained with him. Yeah, that's you know, I got my black belt under him, and you know, I still have so much to be thankful for. But then I look back at, at how challenging those days were, and and see why. I mean, at, at times. It was just literally me, him, and my granddad at training. Yeah, and nobody else had come because we would. It was they were hard sessions. Your granddad comes up a lot in the book as a massive yeah. influence, Derek, if I remember yeah. correctly, as a massive influence on your career and, and, and driving you into that. So was it him that kind of of took you down there for the first time and said, "Look, go and stop punching people in the street or whatever <laughs> else it may be"? And were you a bit of a tear away as a? As a youngster, you know, I was a very quiet kid. Yeah, um, yeah. As as my my friend Paul uh, Paul Gibson, who helped me write the book, yeah. um, it, it, very insular. I was. I was very quiet. I, I I spent a lot of time on my own playing with Lego and reading about pirates. Yeah, and, you know, it wasn't really in, until I was at school that I was really interacting with kids. I wasn't yeah. interested. But then when I realised that other kids liked the Ninja Turtles as well and we had that common ground, yeah. we were playing Ninja Turtle. I was Amazing. running around fighting and stuff. So I did have, I had a lot of energy, Yeah. but 
there was no like malicious intent. Yeah. I wasn't an angry kid, really. I was just very quiet. Um, but because I was so enthusiastic about it, and because I was, you know, basically running around kicking stuff in class at school, you know, yeah. my you know my parents decided to take me to taekwondo, and I had a couple of friends nearby who, who were training already, and I went to went along to their school, um, and it was. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't pleasant. I didn't enjoy it for the for the for several years. Yeah. Um, I got knocked out in my first tournament. That was very unpleasant. Yeah. And uh, uh, how old were you, uh, or roughly then, when you got knocked out for the first time? I think, I think I was eight, man, seven or eight. I started when I was six. Yeah, yeah. I started yeah. when I was six, and I and I, I double graded within a year to yellow belt, and then I had my first tournament. And yeah, I was about. Probably eight. I was no older than yeah. eight, that's for sure. Yeah. And then the other thing as well is, you know, the, the school was divided into two. So it was Mick Rowley who was, was one instructor and then there was another instructor as well who's, yeah, his name's Paul. And he was a bully. I mean, he was just an unpleasant right. person to be trained by. Um, so it, 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 it can be a weird world because there can be a belief that being a bully in that situation is what's good for yeah. them. That's training. That's and. Again, I think that's developed a lot. I don't think you have too much of that now. Um, but there is certainly mentality in certain gyms and in certain places where it is, well, I came up the hard way. We've got yeah. a, a, t- a toughen them up, which isn't necessarily the way because that's for... that's. And again, I guess it's at a time where there's a difference between a mixed martial arts athlete and just somebody who wants to be hard and can beat people up. That's yeah. not... That's not the same thing. It's what I love about the sport is 90% of the time they will sh- shake hands afterwards or, I mean, as you've done, go and train with people you've lost mm. with afterwards or have people you've beaten train with you and things yeah. like that. That It's not that kind of, yeah, I fucked that guy out. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a contest of, yeah. of arts, which obviously, yeah, isn't the case when you've got a big guy teaching kids <laughs> and being a bully well the, th- the thing was I mean really in hindsight it's the absence of mixed martial arts created a window for these people to step into martial arts and become yeah. bullies you know yeah. I mean and you're right there were some people that were they, they were harsh in their training methods but they weren't doing it with bad intention yeah. necessarily I yeah. mean I can't make a judgement on my old instructor and, and what his intentions were I just yeah. remember how I perceived it which was yeah. not pleasant yeah. but yeah, there are those mentalities where you know you, you're tough and you 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 kind of push them around and you you make them mentally strong as well. Um, I, I, it's, that's not it's not my my preferred way of teaching. I think that you know fun and creativity is much more is it, is is much more developmental. You know what I mean? You yeah. can really get get places if you're creative. And I was very hesitant in those early years, and I I feel like I I could have made a lot more ground up had yeah. I have not been so intimidated to go to class. Yeah, but I was right. That's interesting. If, you know? if you're being put off from developing your skills, it's one thing to get knocked out in your first a tournament and have some doubts, but that's that's in your tournament. That's not in the day to day, a week in week out. You're going to be there. That's where you're going to develop. If you're being put off there, then that's that's a completely different thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, and I, I was aware that my parents were so proud that I was doing it. You know right. what I mean? And and then. The other thing as well is when you when you tell people that you started something. I've always been one of those people that once I've once I've declared that I've started something, then I'm yeah. going to see it through. It's 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 one of the reasons. As much as it as it'll annoy me, I don't mind the mates of mine who will post every time they've gone for a run or post their times or distance. At first, I was like, just do it and enjoy yourself. But then I realised 
that's what motivates you because it's it's having to tell someone that you've done it and I think yeah. that can be an important thing in in all sorts of, of, of walks of life is if you've got someone to answer to if you've got a mate who's going to ask you every week oh how's that thing you said you were going to do coming yeah. along it motivates you more to, to do it than yeah, yeah. if you're just how's your diet going kind of want to yeah, but yeah ex- ex- exactly yeah. there's loads of them that it kind of it's why people use social media in that way as annoying as it can be <laughs> to people who are a following on Instagram or whatever, but it pushes you forward. So yeah, yeah. Uh, so you'd made that commitment. So yeah. despite the bully, um, Dis- yeah, despite and the, and the thing was as well, I knew that I knew that at some point in the future there was going to be a transition because the class was divided in half. So the younger kids worked with Paul and the older the older kids and the adults worked with Mick. Right. And I always watched what they were doing. I was com- in complete awe yeah. because I mean Mick at the time was. So I mean, I was what seven, and Mick was about twenty-two. So you know, he wasn't he wasn't you know a man by any yeah, means. He was right. still a very much a, an enthusiast. I mean, that was when I started my pro career. That seemed like a lifetime ago. Yeah. So you know, I watched what he was doing, the way he was teaching, and his enthusiasm. And although I wasn't being taught by him, I could connect with that, and I was just I was kind of passing the time that's until I reached that. It's hugely aspirational mm. and, and relatable, right? If you're seeing someone that's doing all this stuff and is is within that age range, rather than the old 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 haggard pro who never made it <laughs> or whatever else, when you're seeing someone like this guy's got the world at his feet, and yeah, I'll, I want to be that. And the thing is, at the time, I'd, I'd, I'd un, it was unlikely I'd seen anybody that. <laughs> that could actually do that. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't watching martial arts movies when yeah. I was five. I was watching the Ninja Turtles. Yeah, yeah. And we you know we, that was before Power Rangers, so there was yeah. none of that yeah, nonsense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So I was literally the only the only thing the only people I'd seen throwing these kicks were Ninja Turtles. Yeah. So to actually be in a room watching a human being do it, yeah. All of a sudden, it felt attainable, and I felt like I wanted to train with him. And then there was a point where the club split, and I obviously went with Mick, and yeah. that was the beginning of something entirely different. And it was when I got into my, going back to your very original question about my granddad, it was when I got into my early teens that um, it it wasn't convenient. My my parents couldn't get me to all the classes that I wanted to go to, so my grandfather started to offer. And after a few years um, of coming and literally just sitting watching, he would sit for two hours, three days a week, and just watch me train. Um, and and the, I mean the drive was forty five minutes there and back, so it was a it was a good chunk of time that yeah, I got to spend with him. Yeah. And I mean, it, you know, my granddad w- was a, obviously very instrumental in in my life all the way through. I mean, my parents were were sixteen, seventeen when I was born. Oh right, wow. so I lived with my grandparents, and my mum for the first three years of my life. So yeah, to be able to have that time, and I was always quite special for him to him as well. I mean, he's, you know, he's got five grandkids; he loves them all. But I was the only boy, mm. and and we just we. You know, we just connected. He also had three daughters. And so he you were the one they was getting to watch being turned into a killing machine. That's every <laughs> man's dream of, 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 of any of their, their their lineage. If they're not able to do that themselves, yeah. go, yes, look at, what this guy, look at what this kid can do. Yeah, yeah. So he was 60, I think. Yeah, he was 60. And he said to Mick, I'd, I'd, love, to, I'd love to be able to do this. And Mick said, well, you know, why don't you? So he trained for five years. Oh, wow, and it was it was. And it was that difficult time where everybody goes through it when you're sort of 13 to about 17 or 18 where you can quite easily be distracted by anything at all. Yep. And I could have quite easily been distracted by a lot of stuff. I mean, yeah. I started and quit drinking in that window as well. Right, yeah. You know, 
and it was my grandfather that was kind of an anchor in the martial arts. I mean, he kept me in the martial arts. The, the book's dedicated to him, and Amazing. you know, the, a good portion of the photographs are, are of him as well. Yeah. And what was unfortunate was that I lost him at a really unfortunate time. Was four weeks before I fought Joe Saint Pierre. Right. So it was. Oh, I went. I, I, it was his funeral, and then I flew out to New Jersey for the fight. So wow. it was. It was a really, really difficult time, and I. And he was always a, a real strong pillar, you know, he was a, a pillar of strength for me. Yeah. Because, I mean, my parents were concerned, they were worried, they, they were confident that I, I had skills, but there's always that concern that yeah. something terrible can happen. Completely. Parents are always... Yeah. Uh, again, I, have that. I, I think I'm, I'm not sure if I've mentioned this on the podcast or not before, but obviously I'm, 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 I'm trying to do acting in that at the moment, and I've got the podcast. Every now and then I'll still get a message off my mum going, remember, like... Music's your actual job, and that. So try and try and get something written and done. Because in her mind, it's still that's your career at the moment. I'm doing other stuff, and it might work, but it might not. But there's always that little, yeah, that innocent concern of remember what what you do for a living, kind of thing. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, they, they were they were they were obviously concerned, and also because I'd quit I'd quit university to follow, you know, follow my 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 dream. Yeah, to, without so wanting to sound cheesy, but. You know, I was I was working two jobs and I was training as much as I could, and yeah, and and obviously, you know, everybody you meet, there's always a question of, oh, you know, that sounds dangerous. That sounds, you know, how do you what? How do you how do you know you're going to win? Aren't you afraid and yeah. that kind of thing? The only person that was always consistent was my grandfather. Right. So, and there were times when I was, you know, I, I was starting to get a few, you know, fight week jitters or whatever, and I was feeling a bit anxious, or you know, I was having a bad training camp. I would just go and see him and I would sit with him and, and he, you know, he'd ask me a few questions about it and he was just, it was so matter of fact. Mm. It, there was no doubt, you know what I mean? Yeah. He's like, well, I feel sorry for him. I mean, he, he knows what, he, he don't know what's, what's coming to him. Yeah. It's that kind of yeah. attitude yeah. and I just needed that sometimes just to be able to go and sit and listen to someone go, of course you're going to win. Yeah. You know, th- it's not even a question. Like, I'm not questioning it and look how old and wise I am, you know. It was, it's, and it's picking the right, the right, the right outlook, isn't it? I yeah. remember, like, when I first started watching a UFC, I was living at home with my mum still, and she'd watch every now and then, and she'd say, she'd see someone being beaten up and go, who would choose to do that? And my argument would be, no one, because everyone's choosing to be the guy that's doing <laughs> the beating. Everyone's, everyone who's a fighter is watching that going, I'm that one. Yeah, yeah. They're not, not, not looking at the one at the bottom getting beaten up going, <laughs> I want to do that. That's They're so going, true. Look at this guy. That's so true. I've said that so many times. It's so true. Yeah. And, and, and th- that's what a knockout can do to you. You know, yeah. when you're knocked out, all of a sudden you start seeing fights from another perspective. Yeah. And yeah. if oh, you right. can't break that, that's when it becomes, that's when it, that's when you're condemned. That's yeah. when your days are numbered. Yeah. You know? So, um, I mean, are we sitting here now and, um, you're a very calm and and and, and, and lucid and in, inte- intelligent approach to fighting, and you're speaking of your coming into it being very disciplined and it drawing you away from any negativity. That's not the Dan Hardy I first came came <laughs> introduced to in the UFC, or maybe in Cage Warriors, I guess. Yeah. The, the the kind of the birth of the outlaw was was that something you kind of you built a character for yourself, or was it your natural kind of the youth of of cockiness building and and a certain um, a bravado because you were I won the first I remember that would really as we were saying would call people out would would talk sh- sh- shit a bit would take the piss would talk your way in 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 into fights and I guess that was kind of ahead of Chael at the time as well ahead of Chael really 
getting his voice because Chael in the WEC was a gentleman as far yeah. as I remember and then it, it wasn't until he started to get ignored in the UFC that he started to become this amazing speaker so <laughs> yeah. so where did that kind of start to come from? Um, I, I just I think it, I mean it developed very organically yeah. you know if I look back to my well, even my later taekwondo tournaments, like we were laughing about it the other day. Mick was saying, "I, I just the one thing I could never do was get you to shut your mouth." <laughs> like, like we're like we're, we're at Olympic trials. We're like you know we're preparing. We've prepared for ages for weeks. We're there for the Olympic trials, yeah. and I'm cussing the guy across the mats, and we're, you know like Brilliant. judges in suits with shirts and ties, like the full setup. And I'm going, "Fucking come on, then let's fight. Let's let's right now. Let's you know like like try." Yeah. It was just, and I also walked around with my full contact fighter hoodie on, like the old Militich guys. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, yeah, you know, yeah. I was, I, I really liked to kind of play that that game, yeah. you know. And the other thing is what I used to do, which I don't know whether it ever had an effect. I always used to make sure that whatever I showed up in was was matching sponsors. So it, sorry, right. matching brands, so it looked like I was sponsored. Brilliant. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because you, brilliant. Like, you walk on the mat as an amateur amateur jujitsu tournament, looking like a sponsored fighter, and people go, oh. He's going to be good. <laughs> it's, 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 it's how I, I, I started um, my career. When I wrote my first, um, I made a little album and I, I made it off my own money and printed it out. And then all the gigs I did, I did up north. Yeah. Because I wanted to turn up with an album. I'd wear a suit on stage. So I looked like, so they would assume he must be a big down south. <laughs> I'd never done a gig in my life down south. But I went up there Genius. kind of going, I'm clearly a professional. So it's good to have me on the on this open mic or whatever, and it's that it's, it's giving that that's that, genius that view and opinion. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's exactly the same. If you're turning up in all matching gear, it's like, damn, this is yeah, this is this people know about this guy. Yeah, it always like fake it till you make it. Yeah. Is it? I mean, it's the old saying. I mean, I, I did. I, I I wore matching stuff, and I I, I wanted I, I wanted to kind of appear like I was this this established professional. You know, I even set up a. A lot of my early sponsors have never said this. I even set up a fake manager with an email, and I would deal with people through a different name. Yeah, you know, and just that kind of stuff was that was all very organic to me. I felt like it was very much a part of the job. Yeah. Um, and then, then when I started fighting consistently on Cage Warriors, that's when I was able to because I was getting those you know those repeat fans. I was seeing the same people over and over again, and I, I always liked doing crazy stuff with my hair. It was partly to partly a way of getting my mind prepared for the fight mm. you know i mean the mohawk came a little bit later but early on i was getting like patterns shaved in i had the outlaw shaved yeah. in at one point i had a dragon i had fl- all kinds of stuff contact lenses that was an early one as it's well something to make you distinctive and make you, you stand out and yeah. again it, it, it's completely comparable if if there's a six foot four guy with a beard at the open mic that's an easy reference. Oh, the big, the big guy. You know, it's, it's, it's that thing that can stand out rather yeah. than just another person. And I think it was, it was Russell Brand was the first person who, who said to me about the um, the Simpson theory and approach that every Simpson character you, you can recognise from a silhouette, oh. um, and, 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 and and that's a really key psychological thing. It's why Russell started to have his big his big hair, so he'd have a recognisable silhouette at, at that point. And you could go through Amy Winehouse um, yeah. and all these all these different people that you would recognise are, are from their their silhouette that were easy to become iconic and and and, and household names. Yeah, it's so distinctive. 
I, I didn't even think of that. I mean, yeah. I, I always, I always just, ch- I mean, the one thing that I always kept consistent was red. Yeah. You know, I, I had, I dyed my hair red. I wore red trunks. The only time I strayed away from it was tie box, and I went with hot pink. Yeah. Just, just to mix it up. <laughs> Big. <laughs> but, um, but the red was was always, you know, something that I that I I wanted to keep consistent. Partly because it was my favourite colour, and Raphael was my favourite Ninja Turtle. Great. I, and partly because there was a study I read a while back about um, the percentage of successful sports teams and athletes predominantly wear red. Right. So that's I thought, interesting. I mean, that's, you know, I, I'll, it's, it's a worthwhile investment. Even yeah. If it's worth nothing, it's you know, it's worth a shot, isn't it? Yeah. I, re- um, I remember the, the the one time because as a teen, I used to have mohawks and dye my own hair and stuff like that. And the one time I went and paid to have rebellious hair done which I regretted afterwards it's like if you're ever paying someone to be crazy enough that it feels a bit weird you don't need to <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but it was to have red and black because of, of Rufio from, from yeah, I was like, it's, a, it's a massive look it's, like, yeah. it's so yeah. so anarchic yeah. I loved I, it I always wanted liberty spikes that was something I never did but yeah. I might I might grow the mohawk back one day yeah. you never know if, yeah. if I fight again it'll, it'll come back well I mean obviously I don't want to go through everything that I picked up on in in the in the book that I like, but you go into obviously the, the trash talking with Marcus Davis, uh, Mike Swick, G- 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 GSP, all of this. I don't want to go over all of that because people should buy the book because it's dope. <laughs> so, um, but that's all in there. But what I do want to talk about, as you've mentioned it a few times, is is the reptilian self yeah. and what that's all come post your your fighting career. And again, there seems to be a greater connection and understanding of yourself. So ex- explain that a little bit. Um, and we touched upon it a bit, 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 bit last time, and you, I remember hearing you talk to Rogan about it. But still, I find it, I think it's a fascinating area to. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm still very much trying to understand it myself. Um, it started. It all started off with a with a Carl Sagan book, Dragons of Eden, and he mm-hmm. talks about the tree and brain and and the different developments of the brain and the function they served, and 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 then then I started to I started to become very interested in psilocybin and I started to you know experiment with different doses of that and yeah. and that led me on to Terence McKenna and he talked about how the introduction of psilocybin could have possibly uh, been one of the precursors to the development of the brain I mean the, you know the brain size jumped dramatically mm-hmm. at, a, at a certain period in our history and you know there's still not a, a definitive answer as to why yeah. um, and Terence McKenna equates it to the diminishing of the rainforests and um, and, and as having to diversify our food sources so right. there's no longer fruit so we have to start looking for grubs and roots and various different things which then would possibly have led to you know eggs becoming you know a part of our diet yeah. or you know animal proteins maybe but another thing that would have most likely have been a part of our diet at least somewhere in the world would have been mushrooms yeah i mean th- w- we find them everywhere and a good portion of them are are psychoactive yeah so the introduction of mushrooms would have would have surely have had some very profound effect on these on this early species of 100%. ours and i mean terence mckenna goes off on all kinds of tangents yeah. about yeah. it you know about sizes of social groups and you know obviously you know a social group would have been about 100 or 150 at, at the yeah. time and how you know there would have been so much crossbreeding and and uh, the, the the ceremonial use of mushrooms around a fire would have led to all kinds of different developments and obviously, you know, encounters with each other in, in different levels of and course, yeah. the development of language and that kind of thing. Yeah. And what what took me back to the, the 
the Carl Sagan, the Dragons of Eden stuff was obviously, you know, dwelling in the sport of of combat where you're forced into um, a fight or flight situation. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, when you sign a contract, you're choosing to fight, so you're preparing for it, which is a a very different situation to somebody coming up to you on the street and swinging for you. Yeah, because completely. that's that's an instant decision. You you didn't know you were going to be faced with that decision, and you have to make it immediately. Mm-hmm. When you have to, even even when I was at school, I remember having to make a decision, you know, at the beginning of a maths lesson, whether I'm going to fight the kids sitting across the room from yeah. me at the yeah. end of the lesson, yeah. and then sitting for 50 minutes, like you know, tying myself in knots, yeah. trying to figure out what's going to happen. Yeah, like it, it's a very different circumstance when you sign that contract and you are weeks ahead and you start preparing for a person that you can research and watch footage of and really pull apart. Yeah. Um, and I always like to over-prepare. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those kind of people, that, re- especially with training camp. Um, I really used to like to kind of get into it and organize it and make sure I, I had everything covered. I wanted to know their shoe size and how often yeah. they ate and <laughs> yeah. you know, how, how much they pissed when they went to the toilet. And I needed to know everything about this person because yeah. I was going to take them apart. And that was my sole focus for eight weeks or whatever it was I was, I was using. So when I started to realize that that different parts of my brain were advising me in different ways. It allowed me to separate the voices and I wasn't able to do that. It sounds like I'm a lunatic, separate the voices. <laughs> it, I wasn't able to do that until I started to experiment with psilocybin. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that it's not achievable in other ways because I'm certain it is. But yeah. Because I wasn't aware of it, I couldn't have had knowledge of it. Yeah, of course. You know it's, what I mean? It's, it's, it's how it's, it, it's, it's brought to your attention and the, and the system than the situation in which you um, experience it and open things up. I've got another podcast on the network called Say Why to Drugs and me and a, a doctor called Dr. Susie Gage who, who, who studies uh, recreational drugs um, picks a drug every week and discusses it and discusses the influence on the brain and the influence on the, wow. on the body, the positives and the negatives, the dangers, the, the, the reasons they're great. Um, <laughs> And, and one of the things that's come up in almost all of them is set and setting as being absolutely yes. key to any drug that even heroin in the right set and setting is wildly different or in, in two different sets and settings is, is wildly different. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a completely different beast. And we've got, I don't think it's going to be out yet when it drops, but if it is, it's either just come out or coming out very soon. We just broke down uh, DMT. Um, and again, we've previously done mushrooms and LSD and uh, and that kind of thing. And I look at these different things, and it was it was fascinating to s- discuss DMT because it's so hard to break down. <laughs> because everyone who tends to use it uses it in a very sp- spiritual way. Yeah. N- now it's hard to say if the reason the difference for the experiences on that are different from the experiences on mushrooms or on LSD are because the drugs have different effects or because you're preparing your mind in a different way to go into it. Mm. Um, if you're taking this particular drug and, and ayahuasca is one of the, the most popular ones on DMT and all this kind of thing, you're generally doing it in a very tribalistic manner and a ritualistic manner. Yeah. If you're taking some acid at a party on a beach or, or, or in a club, it's yeah. like that's going to be completely different experience so yeah, yeah it's it's a yeah. fascinating area to kind of it really is delve into it, and look at i mean 
I, I got completely, I mean, I got completely sucked into that and I was trying to read as much as possible and there's, there's some really, really interesting stuff out yeah. there. There's some really wacky stuff as well. Yeah. You know, it goes off on different it's, tangents. and It's one of the things that Susie Gage talked about. She said there's tons of great research on DMT and things like that, but the one thing that annoyed her was, was one of the doctors that had done a study on it described LSD and mushrooms as a trip of the mind and or a trip of the brain and ayahuasca or DMT as a trip of the soul. And her annoyance was with that was, you're a, f- a fucking scientist. What the <laughs> fuck is a soul? Like, is it, that's not something yeah. that's scientifically definable. I know what you're saying and where you're going with that, but if you're doing a scientific study, you can't use yeah. uh, spiritualistic t- a terminology as such. But yeah. that t- t- tends to be what people feel or, or, or say about those things. But again it can teach you a lot of stuff. And I said, depending on the manner in which you find it, it can open your eyes to a lot of things that, as you said, you could have found other ways or there might've been in other teachings or readings or learnings, but that's, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I I mean, I I think that like the the states that you achieve with, with some kind of psychedelic substance, you can, you can reach, I'm sure with other, with other ways. I mean, you know, the old stories of these guys disappearing into a cave in in the mountains for 40 years and meditating, you know, fasting is another one and i mean yeah. self-flagellation even if you go back into like you know you know old time italy and the the catholic church they used to beat the shit out of themselves yeah. and there's definitely something with pain that takes you very close to that space yeah. and sometimes people do like to connect with pain i mean yeah. are they called fakirs the people that like to shove rods and hooks through their skin right, yeah. yeah i always remember an artist called stellark who showed up to my university once yeah. he was this off the wall australian guy um, who was he had a he had a, a third ear attached so he could hear the internet or he was he was one you know he was he was a yeah. real real crackpot he was it fascinating yeah but he was one of those guys that did a lot with stuff with hooks right and, you know it hooks in the skin yeah. being suspended and I'm sure there are different ways of achieving it I I feel that people are reaching out for those alternative methods which are far more extreme and damaging mm-hmm. because we've lost the connection with the planet. Yeah, sure, that you makes know? sense. I mean, people putting themselves through pain or fasting or, or you know, hours of, like, silence and meditation or however they, they get there, the, 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 keys, the keys are growing in the earth. Do you know right, what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. like you, can, you can, well, we at least used to be able to pick mushrooms ourselves, be able to identify them and know, know how to work with them as well, which yeah. is a knowledge, a technology which is lost. I mean, fortunately, ayahuasca is starting to get a foothold in 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 the mainstream now. Mm-hmm. Um, but like that's an ancient technology that we still can't understand. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, how how did they know to combine these two organic substances mm-hmm. to to achieve this? I mean, it, it's absolutely fascinating, and and the 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 depth of that tradition as well. Yeah, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to, to go to Peru a couple of times. The last time I was there, we're actually exactly a year ago today. Right. Um, and, and I've also had ayahuasca ceremonies in uh, on an Indian reserve in California, yeah. and I've also, you know, I've also had it in, in someone's front room in Vegas. You know yeah. what I mean? I, can, yeah. I mean, I don't need to tell you which one was the, the most profound and experienced <laughs> of them all, but yeah, everyone you know. loves Vegas. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, there's there's a there's definitely something that we're missing that we've we've lost the connection, and, and a lot of people around the world are reaching out to, to reestablish that connection, and most of them don't even know they're doing it. Yeah. That's what's fascinating about yeah. it. The amount of people that are contacting me. I have professional fighters send me messages about 
dosages and this and that. And I mean, I, I'm no expert. I can only talk from my yeah, own yeah. Uh, experience, which I've been wide open with in the book. It's, yeah. There's a whole chapter on it. So I, I really feel like this needs to be talked about more. It needs to be brought into the mainstream, and we need to be talking about these things. Yeah, you know, I mean, another way people are reaching for this is is using chemical compounds, which is something that I I have no interest in. Yeah. Everything that I work with is organic. You know, it's mushrooms or ayahuasca or obviously marijuana. I, I still think it, you know is, is a very powerful medicine yeah. if used yeah. correctly. Yeah, and again, it's 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 one of the reasons we do the Say Why to Drugs podcast because it's it's to try and take it's to try and talk about drugs without that demonization of drugs are bad. And yeah. Again, it's. I say in the trailer, which has probably been played at the beginning of this, so it will annoy people that I'm repeating it now, but it's not pro-drugs, it's not anti-drugs, it's pro-truth um, and anti-myth. Yeah. And that's kind of the point of it, just going, look, imagine if drugs weren't these scary, evil things. Because, <laughs> spoiler alert, they're not. Yeah. It's, just, it's just what we're told, and it's it's a myth. But imagine if they weren't, then or we could look at them and approach them for their benefits and be cautious of them for their 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 dangers rather than just no just stay away from them that's that's bad so yeah. um how's that kind of all that mental change um influenced you in your training in your approach to fighting do you feel if you are to get to return do you feel this is a completely new dan hardy out there yes yeah i, I think one one of the main motivating factors for for me wanting to fight again is because I don't feel like I've given a good account of myself in right. the UFC. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can look back to performances that I had before I got to the UFC and obviously the, the opposition was not as, as, as good, but my performances were better. Right. I so. looked better. I felt better. I moved better. I was technically far superior in striking than I was in the UFC. Like yeah. I watched my old fights in the UFC and I think I look, I look slow. I look sluggish. I look cumbersome. That's I got too big. I got too heavy. Right. You know, because I went from fighting, you know, fifteen times a year to fighting three times a year. Right. And you know, fighting so regularly kept me sharp all the time. I was always in training camp. Every week I was running. You know what I mean? There was yeah, there was not a time when I would stop and go, okay, now I've got to detrain and and you know sit down for three yeah. days and then I can start slowly building my aerobic base up yeah. while I'm doing powerlifting. You know what I mean? It was like. That that didn't come until I reached the UFC, and it yeah. dramatically changed the way that I so thought. At the level of subconscious sharpness, essentially, from being constantly in it, that you wouldn't have noticed. You'd feel you've gone in and done a camp as well as you used to do them. It's just the fact that you used to do them throughout the whole year. So this potentially isn't having as much of an impact. Yeah, it, it was the break that, that that was really. I mean, yeah. it really. I really felt like it upset me. And then, and obviously, when I crossed over to the UFC, and there was there was much more of a well, a lot of the opponents were bigger, let's put it that way. And I always wanted to make sure I was at least strong enough and big enough to make it difficult for them to throw me around yeah, if they yeah. were going to. Yeah. I mean, if you look at me facing off with GSP, you know, although although I couldn't put up much of an offensive in the grappling uh, range, I was still big and strong. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? There was, there was a lot of me in comparison to now. Yeah. And, and I just don't really think it suited my fighting style. I think looking back, I could have really done with a weight class in between welterweight and lightweight yeah and and if i'd have been smart and stayed in shape all year round like i should have done mm-hmm. then i i think that that you know i mean that i keep i keep mentioning it i think we need a couple more weight classes yeah you know i, I think we need a light welterweight i think 161 is perfect because with that one pound allowance to 162 that puts it bang yeah. in the middle of the two i mean it's become 
I mean, the UFC have made it very clear that they're not afraid of belts with everyone getting an interim <laughs> belt these days. It's, so, and so I'm it's waiting for of, one to come through yeah, the door. Yeah, I'm, so I'm not receiving again, mine yet. It, <laughs> it, it makes sense to have those 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 middling uh, uh, weight classes. Yeah. To a, then you can have a belt headline in every event because exactly. you've got more weight classes, more champions. That means that means the depth across across the planet will get deeper. Yeah, because there are a lot of guys that that fought at welterweight but they just weren't big enough yeah. and were discouraged yeah, but could never make lightweight you know what I mean I know a lot of those guys and it goes through the weight classes yeah. you know I mean obviously the bigger the weight classes get the bigger the gap between them and we you know we could do with a few more champions and I, I mean I always felt like the additional weight that I put on to be a big welterweight didn't suit me and could mm. I have done it again I would have been closer to my more natural weight and just been smaller yeah, I really would. Yeah, you know, the Frankie I, Edgar exactly approach of of not cutting weight, just going in and being the best you. Yeah, and hoping that can, in theory, that cancels out yeah. any size advantage. Yeah. Um. So, well, b- b- before we move on to to talking about the London card, b- b- because we we will wrap up at, at some point. Uh, last time we sat down and did this, it turned into two podcasts, and we <laughs> we chatted for over three hours. So I'm going to rein it in this time. Yeah. But, um, a ring rust talking to you. It sounds like that wouldn't be an issue because of the mental um, approach and the physical approach. And I think ring rust is a real thing, but I also think it's something that's counterable. And I think, and now, again, I've brought him up before, but a great example of that is, is Dominic Cruz. The fact that when he was off, he was he was an analyst. He was breaking down fights. He was keeping his mind sharp. So when he came back, although he got injured again, but when he came back again, he looked like he was better than when he left. Mm. He was, you know, he had improved in that time. So is that... Oh, where you feel you are and and you'd be, or would you? Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't look for a warm up fight because if you're only looking at two or three more fights, you. Yeah, I, I, yeah, no, I wouldn't be looking for warm up fights, and I also wouldn't wouldn't be really looking for, you know, a, a fight that's announced and 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 you know ahead of time and having a full training camp. Right. What what I want to do? What what would be ideal for me now? is especially now my new rig's installed, I'm going to get myself to about 85% condition. Yeah. And I'm just going to hold that. Yeah. I'm just going to hold that because that's what I was when I was competing all the time. Yeah. I'm going to great. see roughly where my weight is. I'm lighter naturally now than I was back then anyway. I've lost a lot of the, the, the unnecessary weight. I mean, my legs used to be so much heavier and yeah. thicker. So, you know, I've slimmed down. I feel a lot quicker and leaner and lighter now and I'm, I'm walking around at 185. Mm-hmm. But I've still got, you know, a bit of Christmas dinner around yeah, my waist yeah, to yeah, yeah, go yeah. and... Um, I, I think I, I mean I, I know I could make lightweight. I've made yeah. one sixty a couple of times in my career, um, so I, I just want to kind of get within sort of twenty pounds of the weight and sit there comfortably at eighty eighty five percent condition, and then and be ready if know, something. Yeah, if yeah. if just you know a, a massive fight is going down and one of the opponents happens to pull out, and I can just. I mean, you know, obviously there are a lot of guys out there that would be wanting to take that fight, but I could also throw my name in the hat. Yeah, and what's yeah. interesting is because it's been so long since I've fought, people people are kind of romanticising the good parts of my career over time. Right, And sure. they're more enthusiastic about me fighting now than yeah. they were then. Yeah. You know? I maintain if the Libertines had never split up, Oh, they wouldn't have headlined Redden and Leeds <laughs> because they did. It came back as this, oh my God, this is the, it's, it's a similar thing. You, you yeah. put that... that that romance on it but regardless of any romance or not you are someone who's been in ch- in championship fights who's fought many names that have gone on to be you know iconic and big and big uh, big names as yeah 
It keeps you in there. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's interesting, and I, and I think I mean it's it's favourable for me because it does allow me to to get bigger, more exciting fights. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, it, it was fascinating. I think I mean, partly I think it's down to the fact that I have been working as an analyst, and I think people have they've got to know me a bit better. They they understand me more as a person now instead yeah. of the, just the character that they would see around fight time. I mean, that's the thing is, if if I was fighting and you saw embedded that would be the guy that you would see because yeah. around fight time, that's who I am. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, that I kind of, it's not, there's nothing contrived about it, but I, I certainly turn the volume up on some parts of my personality. Of course, yeah. The outlaw comes out a little bit. Yeah. I, I like, I like living in that space, but I can't do it all year round. Yeah. It's exhausting. Yeah. And right. nobody, nobody likes me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be an intense situation, but before we have a look at, at the London card, um, the book comes out on the 23rd of March. Yeah. I'll have links in this to buy it from Amazon or wherever else and you're doing a load of signings so you're you're starting off in Nottingham of course on the yeah. tw- on the 22nd of March how yeah. exciting is that though it's, to be it's home be awesome. with a book because again there's when you strive to be an athlete or in in, in in combat sports there's certain things that are your goals and achievements but a book generally isn't on that list it's, <laughs> it, it, it's not something you particularly expect so does that kind of yeah is it good to be starting off at home with that kind of yeah thing. it is it is and it's I mean it, it couldn't be more perfect really I'm sure that basically it'll just be me and my family crowding Waterstones yeah. um, for a couple of hours um, talking about old times but yeah it's going to be awesome I'm it's sure it won't I remember when I played in Nottingham it wasn't the one that you came to but it was when we were in rescue rooms and it was the Friday before you fought JSP okay. and I gave you a shout out to the crowd then and they went nuts yeah. was there because because the local boy was uh, nice. was was fighting for a title, but yeah. So you're there, and then you're going to Manchester. Um, you'll be at a, 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 a Leadenhall in London, in Birmingham, in Dublin, in Edinburgh, and in Glasgow. Yeah. You're doing Edinburgh and Glasgow in the same day. That's good. They're so near. That would be good yeah. fun. And then I'm going to take a little too. bit of a drive around the Highlands. I've never been to the coast of the north of England. So oh wow! Well, yeah. No, I've only gone. Yeah, I've gone a few hours past. I've gone up to Aberdeen and a few places like that. But yeah, it's, it's beautiful up there. My brother, again, in fact, as this goes out, he's going to um, a hut up in the Highlands that hasn't got any... He's spending a week there. It's got no power. Um, it's got no hot water. So it's got it's got a stove, a wood a wood-burning stove. And yeah, I hadn't r- 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 realised the intensity of it until he was around a couple of days ago. And I was... He was like, oh, I'm not going to have to charge my phone. And I knew there wasn't any internet. <laughs> I was like, oh, is there no power? He's like, yeah, there's no hot water either. There's a there's a, a contraption to boil the water and have a shower outside and all this kind of stuff. I was like, man, I love that. It's crazy that, that we don't realise that the Highlands are just this amazing. Yeah. It's the kind of, yeah. Bit of a wilderness. There's, there's really. so much there. Yeah. But that's what I was talking about a minute ago. People trying to connect with something, yeah. you know, yeah. trying to find that, that, that connection point. Yeah. Because he also he he did a ten day fast at one point as right. well, so no food, only only water. Wow! Um, and he said on that, he said for mental clarity, he didn't particularly feel it until he started to come off of the fast, and he, you, you, you come off with nuts first and stuff like that, and build yourself up. You can't just go, I'm going to eat a pizza because <laughs> your body will, yeah. will literally die. But he said it was like a mist coming over his head. He said the mental clarity he developed when fasting was was absolutely mind-blowing but because it comes in gradually and you're 
a bit nervous and focused on the fact that you're you're, you're weaning off food and all this kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, it was interesting. Mm. But yeah, anyway, when I had Rory McDonald on, um, he kind of implied that 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 the U that the, the the Bellator London card is better than the UK London card, <laughs> and it is really good. But I was talking to a mate of mine the other day who's going, and he's he's a casual fan, and he was saying, "Oh, it's not it's not the best card." It's why I'm excited to talk to you about it because I think there's fights that you'll be as excited as I am about. Yeah. And I think the first time I met you, it was at a UFC London, um, and it was another card that people at the time were like, "Oh, it's not that good." Stevenson was headlining. Right. You weren't fighting, but I'm sure it was one that you were... uh, But on that one, uh, a guy that... Or two guys no one had really heard of called Charles Sonnen and Damian Meyer (laughs) fought. And and it's one of these that it was... It was an amazing night. Yeah. um, Yeah. uh, Let's have a a quick go through a a few of them. I mean, the main event, Amanor and Anderson is, is hugely exciting. And Jimmy just looked astounding in his last... His yeah. last fight, didn't he? Do you, do you think he's now getting to that point where he's at that at that that level? Because he started really late and he blitzed through people on, on the UK scene, and then he jumped into the UFC and had to fight some of the best fighters in the history of light heavyweight. And yeah, yeah. it felt like he'd maybe been exposed, but I think no, he'd just been putting against some well, absolute beasts. I mean, it, you know, it wasn't really it wasn't until he reached the UFC that there was really any kind of competition yeah. for him. You know, so it was. He didn't even, you know, even up until the UFC, he didn't really know what he was preparing for because what he had was adequate. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's that's you know that's something that people forget is when somebody gets to the UFC and they're unbeaten, what they've got is already is adequate for yeah. what they what they want to do. Yeah. So yeah. when they get to the UFC, sometimes people get a massive shock. 100%. And I mean, I'm, Jimmy Jimmy wasn't one of those guys. I mean, if you look back to his fight against Kyle Kingsbury, for example, oh. Kyle's a good friend of mine. Yeah. You know that was just a brutal beatdown of yeah. probably what you know the the biggest light heavyweight aside from Forrest Griffin. I would say yeah. Carl is massive. Yeah. You know, and then and then he had a couple of frustrating ones, didn't he? He had two. Was it knee injuries? Was it Cyril? Yeah. And then yeah. Ryan Jimmo. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah. Both of those. Yeah. You know. So and again, it felt like he was just. Uh, I mean, with Carl Kingsbury, I think he, he stayed in his corner, didn't he? He wasn't even a. It was one of them where he just couldn't, he couldn't yeah, continue. I yeah. think and fractured skull, wasn't it? It was, yeah. a, it was a bad injury. Yeah, I know that. yeah, it was, it was brutal. And yes, and so he had these ones where he's winning, but it's not always the, yeah, the showcase or the experience even that he needed to. Yeah, and it's not you know it's him. not always not always challenging for him. I mean yeah. you know a couple of those wins were very frustrating because he didn't get the finish that he wanted. Mm. Um, and I also think, you know, since he's been training over at All Stars, training with Gus, you know, that's that's changed him exponentially. Really? You know, yeah. I, I went over there. We were filming some stuff a little while ago for the UFC, and um, I got in there. I was training with them a little bit, and he he just he just knows mixed martial arts yeah. much better now. You know, yeah. and that's the, that's really what he needed. Mm. He needed to understand that he has all the all the skills and the tools and the ability. Yeah, but. There's still more to learn. Yeah. You know, there's still more you can add to your game. You need some scrambles. You need some good takedown defense. You need to threaten off your back. You know, he's a, he's a great striker. Technically, he's he's a very very good striker. He's yeah. very smooth. You know, he, he he puts his combinations together very well. I, I would like to see him, you know, throw a little more. I'd like to see him throw a bit more volume. But when you've got a guy that hits that hard. It's, right. they, sometimes they just can't hold back that power. It's like yeah. Tyron Woodley. Yeah. He has so much power that when he decides to punch, it's all or nothing. Yeah. 
so that is a massive drain on his conditioning, and and I think that that's something else that he's had to he's had to negotiate since he's signed with the UFC as well. And yeah. I think he's right at that point now where he knows what he needs to do to get to where he wants to be. It's one of the things that I think is underrated about um, Ayoel Romero is his patience with his power. And again, it's partly because he's a bit older and might not have this, have this, the stamina. But he's one that I remember his first couple of fights in the UFC. I was entranced because he had this kind of, it looked like he was almost moving in slow motion mm. and he'd have this weird bob from side to side that looked so slow and then it'd explode. And I mean, the Weidman one where I'm convinced that it was Weidman that stopped Rommel damaging the ceiling of the arena because that <laughs> knee was just, it felt like he was just going to keep yeah. going and it had that ex- explosiveness. So yeah, yeah, if you can learn to p- to pick and choose when you use that rather than just, just just yeah. wing it out there. That's, that's deadly. It, it is. It is. And and you know and Jimmy Jimmy's very good at, at distributing his power over all of his strikes as well. You know, even a great striker, even someone that's that's got a lot of knockouts, like Paul Daly, for example, yeah. is a good example. Loads and loads of knockouts on his record. But mm-hmm. if you look down his record, if you watch those fights, the majority are left hooks. Mm-hmm. He has a ridiculous yeah. left hook. Yeah. And because it's become such a weapon, like Tyrone Woodley's right hand, yeah. his, his sprint, like I talked about in the breakdown, the 2-1-2 the, the, the sprint that he does, yeah. he throws the short right hand, short lead, and then over the top yeah. um, to crack him on the temple. Because it's worked so many times, that's, it's the go-to. Yeah. Derek Brunson, with the over and over again, with the left hand until they fall yeah. over. Yeah. Jimmy's not fallen into that oh, trap. Roy Nelson is one that's the, exactly, the ultimate yeah, example. Yeah. I remember I watched one of his fights with someone who hadn't, hadn't I watched many fights. I said, <laughs> literally, let's count how many... I don't think we even counted how many times he threw his overhand right. We counted how many times he threw anything other than his overhand <laughs> right. And it just wasn't there. It was just, yeah. it was just. But again, if you've got that... Yeah. If, if you can put Sometimes people Sometimes you like just that, gravitate it be, towards yeah. it, you know, without thinking about it. And and I credit I credit Jimmy for not doing that because yeah. because you know because he could he could gravitate towards one weapon but because he's able to mix it up that's what's going to make him a, a world class contender yeah you know and Corey Anderson as well I've been researching him for the breakdown show that we're going to do next week that he moves very well you know mm. when I first when I first saw the matchup and thought about him I pictured him as being a lot more rigid and stiff than he is. Yeah. But he actually fights very, very well going backwards. Right. And I think that's going to be a key in this fight because obviously Jimmy is an always push forward kind of fighter. He yeah. can be patient, but he does like to be progressing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So if somebody's going to negate that power and stay conscious fighting Jimmy, it's going to be someone that can move back and use a good reach, use that jab, and always threaten with the power double. And pick up, yeah. And Corey Anderson's that guy. Yeah. You know? And once he gets on top, He's very, very good at sitting in guard and half guard. He'll sit in half guard. He'll turk the leg and he'll just he'll cross body control and just beat you up against the fence. Yeah, he's got a good um, his, his, his his calmness on top. Seems yeah. to be. There's a lack of urgency, but in a in a way that he's waiting for that. Like he doesn't want to r- scramble and rush to beat. It's like there's a there's that that constant pressure. I guess. Yeah. And, he, and he's very calculated in what he's doing as well. One of the things I'm going to talk about on the breakdown, I'll, I'll, I'll mention it now, yeah. is, and if you watch his, his fight against Jan Bojovic, who's a, a very, very good fighter, mm-hmm. who threatened him with an armbar in the first round. Yeah. If you watch that fight, you'll see how not only does he keep him square against the fence with his hips, but he forces him so cramped that Jan has to pick a side 
which then yeah. brings his head closer to his hip to hit him with elbows. Yeah. And he does it consistently throughout that's his that's career. Amazing, yeah. it's, it's, he's got a very good ability of pinning somebody's hips square but forcing their head to one side or the other. And yeah. Khabib does the same thing. Yeah. We'll likely see it this weekend. That's great. Um, so, I mean, we won't go for every fight, but I mean, as soon as they announced Gunner and, 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 and Joe Bann, I was like, yeah. how can anyone question the strength? I mean, that's a hell of a, a, a match-up of two absolute beasts, absolute up-and-comers. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's very exciting. Alan, his striking has always looked a, a fantastic. He's no slouch on the ground. He's, he's tenth, a 10th planet, isn't he? Yep, so yep. he's no slouch down there. But Gunner, Gunner was my favourite... I fighter for a, a, a minute there. He was just just so calm and consistent, and just the pressure, mm-hmm. the pressure of him for a not intimidating looking guy, the smothering. Yeah, um, it's it's why I was kind of sad when he he was matched up with Damian Meyer because Damian Meyer has been my long time favourite for exactly that <laughs> that pressure, that smothering. It was like, oh man, this is yeah, this is a tough one. Yeah, you know, it's it's a great it's a great fight, and yeah. I mean, I'm looking forward to it because. Obviously, Gunnar's a very unique fighter in the yeah. way that he approaches the fights. He's he's the only fighter that when we've done an inside the octagon, I've not been able to go, let's look at his striking, let's look at his grappling. You yeah. know, because you can't separate them. Yeah, Everything that he does follows a path. Particularly if you watch his first, I think, three, three maybe four fights in the UFC. Yeah. Um, obviously, the Demarcus Johnson one, and there was, I can't remember who else he fights now, the names are evading me. But he follows the same path. He, he sets them up. Zach Cummins is the other one. He sets right. them up. He lunges in with that, that karate right hand. He cracks them and stuns them. And then he grabs them and drags them down to the floor. Yeah. And he's and got really that. really drags as really well. really does. And if you look at him, if you look at the way he stands and the way he's built, mm. he's built kind of like a hockey player. Yeah. He's got a very strong posterior mm-hmm. chain, which means that once he's clamped onto you, it's it's very, very difficult to get him yeah. to get him to move. Yeah. And he's just, he drags people down, he smothers them and slowly progresses, like you said, to a dominant position and then finishes with a choke. Yeah. And and Alan is a guy that I actually I've been training I trained with Alan a long time ago, when he was a model before he was a fighter. Yeah. And it, like he would come and join our sparring sessions and um he was always very awkward because he was a southpaw and he was always very athletic, right. very strong. Yeah. And he just seemed to pick Muay Thai up very, very easily. Yeah. It was very comfortable for him. He moved very well. And I mean, we had some great sparring sessions and, and he was really focused on kickboxing and, and Muay Thai until he, until he started picking up the ground game and, and 10th Planet was in the same, in the same place. It was all at legend. Right, so, yeah. you know, it's, you know, it, it's, it's easy to get to addicted to the 10th Planet system. Yeah, it's completely. And I think Alan's a really exciting one because he's had those moments now where he's had to, See if he likes getting punched, and 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 and, and he didn't. Like I, I remember, I can't think who he was against, but the first time he got caught, he seemed quite shaken. And and people talk of of Brock not liking getting punched, or Ronda being an example. But you've got to experience it to get through that. And in, yeah. I think in his last fight, he got caught but pushed through and kind of. So yeah. it, it feels like he's he's had that experience now, which is key. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely he's definitely got the mental toughness and. And there, there obviously there was a there was a, a time when you know he did look a little startled for a second, but th- there was always the intention of fighting back. Do you know what I mean? There was always he was always trying to stay on his feet, trying to get himself to, into a better position. Yeah. 
and and obviously now he's now we've seen him fight through that, and we've started to see the establishment of how how strong his elbow game is, mm-hmm. which yeah. is yeah, which yeah, is yeah, a yeah. massively underutilized tool in mixed martial arts. Yeah. You know, I mean, the only other person I can think is comparable at the moment really is um, well Tony Ferguson, who's got mm-hmm. great elbows. Yeah. But Condit, if you watch his fight against yeah. Alves, I, I think he lost the first round and then finished him in the second yeah. with yeah, 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 with yeah. wicked elbows. Allen's got great elbows, and, yeah. and you you just look at the guy and you think to yourself, well. I mean, he's, he's, and we can't underestimate how successful he is as a male model. I mean, yeah. you know, he's, he is the Huge. highest of high end of male yeah. models. Yet he's in there getting. Is he um, Armani or Gucci or which? Yeah, I can't uh, think. He's, he's yeah, he's Gucci. He's, I think he's doing yeah. very well. Yeah. So you know, that was the question for me when he first started coming to the sparring sessions. Is you know, well, how dedicated is yeah, this guy? Yeah, what does he want to do? Yeah. Yeah. How far is he going to go with this? Oh, can we punch him in the face? Is that is yeah. that okay? You know, and he always showed a lot of toughness in the gym as well. It that's was, great. you know, it, you wouldn't have thought he, he had a career, you know, that's supposed to look after his face. Yeah. I mean, I, I will dance through a few more. I know which one I want to end on talking about, but the, the fight that I'm. I'm most excited about and, and most sad about. I I really hated it when Jacare and Romero were paired up because I loved them both and wanted them both. I didn't want one to be eliminated. Yeah. Um, and Arnold Allen and Amicani are two yeah. fighters that I think are potential superstars, both of them. Yeah. So whilst it's exciting for them to be matched up, I did have a little bit of a, oh man, someone has to lose here. Um, I think Arnold Allen is... He, he looks fantastic. I think he's um, a great example. In a weird way, he reminds me of of of, of John Hathaway in, in in coming out of England. In that he feels like very much a mixed martial artist, rather than a lot of the UK guys will be a, a boxer converting or whatever else. He feels like an all round mixed martial artist, and yeah, he seems yeah in great shape. And and Amikani is is a little superstar in the making with his post fight speeches. Is his wins, his randomly stopping people who were stealing beer in the street and getting it on social media. It's yeah, he's a yeah, he's, he's an interesting one. character for sure, and they're very different as well. Yeah. Not only in their character, but in their fighting style. You know, yeah. you've got Amir Khan, who's a very, a very fast starter. You know, what yeah. I mean, obviously, if you if you think of the Andy Ugal fight, I mean, yeah. that was at six seconds That's or something. Neat, just, yeah. He's a very fast starter. He likes to capitalize on that on that startled opponent that was just not expecting that rush. Yeah. Um, even if you go back to his earlier fights before he joined the UFC, you can see him very quickly jumping on submissions and just snatching things and cranking stuff on very quickly and getting those those panic reactions from fighters. Um, what Arnold Allen's very good at is withstanding an early storm and coming yeah. back and getting yeah. stronger as the fight goes on. And because and remaining calm in those exactly, in the storm. yeah, and, and he's and he's also one of those. Uh, and you've paired him, paired him perfectly with John Hathaway, yeah. one of those strong athletes that's just a nice guy. Yeah. So yeah. no matter what you do or no matter what you say, you're not going to get a reaction out of him. He's not. You're not going to be able to shake him because he's just going to be the nice guy. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And, and just Mac- the calmest friend is. He used to roll at, um, at the at, at the Gracie Bar in, in Rayleigh near me, which I used to go to. And again, it's that thing of you'd think if there's a, a UFC or verge of UFC guy there, you'd notice. But he, again, he's not that yeah. guy. He's just he's there to do his thing. Just yeah. a pleasant lad. Yeah. Yeah. So it's I mean it's a fascinating matchup. I don't I, I don't think a loss hurts either guy. I mean I I think. And the thing is, as well, I know and they're both that, uh, really young still, so that's are. kind of the advantage there yeah. that they've got. 
a we, long time in the game. We we, we kind of need to see. It was like Cody Garbrandt against uh, um, uh, uh, Thomas Almeida. Yeah, yeah. Like I didn't want to see either of those guys lose. I wanted to see both of them develop into into prospects and yeah. contend for the title. But the difference with mixed martial arts and with boxing is that you know in a, in boxing a loss can can like send you down a whole different 100%. path. Yeah. In mixed martial arts, it adds to the story. Yeah. It adds to your game. You know, yeah. because there are so many ways to lose in mixed martial arts, it's very difficult to get to Khabib level and yeah. and to to be unbeaten. You know, because yeah. there are so many mistakes to make. There are so many traps to fall into or ways to get caught. Yeah. You can't cover yourself entirely. You're always going to get get someone that can hit harder than you you know I mean, it's one of those situations that you know if somebody gets to a stage where they've you know they've got 15 fights and they're unbeaten mm-hmm. this that's a bit strange yeah. now we need to start yeah. trying to find someone to beat them. and i mean it's it's i i argued with some people online when habib came back from injury and everyone was saying he deserved a title shot because of his underfeet run and my opinion was i think he's amazing but at that point he hadn't fought that many great great people no. it, it beat an rda but so's clay guida does Clay yeah. Guida deserve a title <laughs> shot? You know, it's, it's like it's it's these things, and, and I'm a big fan of Ferguson. But my f- thought was at that point, Ferguson had been beating people at high level all yeah. the time while never get a, a, a was injured. Yeah. So it felt yeah yeah, and and he was running through guys as well, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, you know, like he, he was he was he was making a statement in every outing at the octagon. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So there's a few, a, a couple more again for people who are maybe going or maybe thinking of tuning in and are unsure. So a few people I want to highlight for casual fans, and one of them is a guy that, that both of us will have seen a fair bit in in in, in, in Bama in uh, a Dickiesi. Oh yeah, Dickiesi. Yeah, Dickiesi. And the last two fights I saw him in, in Bama were <laughs> under a minute, and he just looked like an absolute beast. So yeah. I think he's an ex- exciting one, and he made it through his first fight in in the UFC right and yeah I think yeah. I think again he's an exciting one to have on the card there yeah a, a, a very very talented young prospect you yeah. know and, and a guy that explosive as hell yeah massively explosive and, we're, well, and, and accuracy and, as, uh, as well I, I was a thing for him it, I, I, or I feel from what I've seen not one of those just explosive wild no. swingers it's a calmness and then bang yeah, yeah. very He's got a very old head on him. He's very yeah. mature for his for, for, for his career. Um, I actually I, I actually trained with him one time. I went up to uh, ASW where right. um, Bradley Scott trains and Mike yeah. Wilkinson. And, uh, sorry, not Bradley Scott. Scott Askham, yeah. um, which is another great fight on the card. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I went up there and I saw him, and, and obviously we were focused on Mike Wilkinson and, and Scott Askham because we, they were they were on the card, but. Yeah. De Casey was there, and he was just a talent that you couldn't help but but focus on. You know what I mean? Yeah. You could see how much potential he had. I yeah. rolled with him. He was very slick, very smooth, and like you said, very strong and explosive. And it, I mean, anybody get on Instagram and, and take a look at the kid training. Some of the powerlifting that he does is ridiculous. Yeah, you know, and he's a very calm individual as well. Like I say, he's got a very old head on him. So yes, you know, he's going to go from strength to strength. And and what's nice is that he's got. A couple of UFC vets in his camp that he's he's working with that he can also share the experiences with and kind of and draw from and draw knowledge yeah. from. And he's got Darren Morris as well, who is one of the best coaches in the country in in Europe. Right. Likely, you know, he's. I mean, he was he was training guys for the old submission wrestling tournaments back in what two thousand and two. You know yeah. what I mean? Like he's been around for a long time. It's, a, it's a scary combination. Of, yeah. of, of a veteran like that and a young kid, as said, who can remain so calm and have such an old head on him that's a that's a killer mm-hmm. that can climb and climb and climb I remember there was a point where 
each time Nate Diaz fought, he seemed to have got, have got ten times better. And 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 it it feels I I like that. It feels like combinations. I like that breed that that yeah. they might look good in this fight. He's he's now had five more months in the gym. Yeah, that's that's a massive climb. Um, yeah. Well, you mentioned S- Scott and Askham. That's that that's a great fight. Breeze is opening the card, which is, yeah. is, is always good. Duffy on the card is ex- is exciting, but Edwards I wanted to to highlight as well because I think he he looked like he was going to start smashing through things, and it slowed a little. But again, mm. I think he's a a great British prospect. Yeah, I the only thing I want to do with 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 Leon is just give him a good shake. Yeah. You know what I mean, I want I want to go just just go and get it. Just, yeah. just go and go and take yeah. it for yourself. And yeah. I always and the other. One of my teammates, love him to death, Andre Winner, was yeah. exactly the same. Yeah, the amount of times you've like, got it all there. Yeah, like I mean, the amount of times, like two minutes into the first round, I just want to. I got sorry, referee, I'm cutting the fight. Just give me a second, Andre. Yeah, go and get it. Yeah, you could knock this guy out now. Go and get it. Yeah, I always, I, I can't think of what fight, but I remember a a Leon Edwards fight or a, a knockout, in fact, where there was just a moment where. He looked like the most surprised person in, in, in the thing. He just knocked a person yeah. out, and he was like, "All right, yep, yeah, cool." Like, yeah. No, that's, that's Seth, how good you are. Seth, yeah, yeah, yeah. Seth yeah. Bajinski. Yeah, he's like, that's, "That's how good yeah. you are." Go and yeah. do that. You should yeah. be expecting that. That that's it. It's like he's kind of waiting for that final piece, that final that fight that proves to proves to himself that he's got the skills to do what he what he uh, yeah. what he has. I mean, I mean, you know that that uh, that fight against Seth. Was really a, just a just a glimpse of what he's capable yeah. of, and he reminds me of my old Thai boxing coach Owen Comrie, who was, you know, he's a very relaxed Thai boxer. He had a real kind of calm, cocky style. You know, you just you were never quite sure what you were letting yourself in yeah. for. And but Owen, when I was working with him, was obviously maturing his game, so he was setting you up for something. Whereas Leon has that kind of vibe, but sometimes I'm not sure whether he knows what's coming next. Yeah. And when he gets that 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 belief in himself, that's when we're going to start seeing some yeah. really spectacular finishes from him. Hundred percent. So the last one I want to talk about, and again, as you you, you work for, for, for the UFC, it feels cheesy if you're doing a hard sell. But I don't I work for the the fuckers. But I can happily say, <laughs> if you're on the fence of watching this event, then you owe it to MMA to watch Brad Pickett's Swan Song. Oh, what man. an absolute legend in British MMA and in the UFC, being or in WEC and everything, been in some of the greatest fights. The fact that he's he's going out in London, um, yeah, yeah. Um, it's perfect. I can't wait for that. It's going to be yeah, it's going to be perfect. hair standing on end. It's going to it's going to be emotional. It's yeah. going to be emotional. Um, I mean, I hope you know. Obviously, regardless of what happens, I hope he gets a, a second on the mic. I hope I get to have, yeah. a, have a, a, a brief chat with him. Yeah. You know, people don't realize how much Brad has invested in this sport. You know, yeah. he's been around for so long. He's 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 had so many fights. He's trained with so many people. He's I was say he's brought so many people through. Yeah, as well. exactly. I mean, he's got his own show. He's bringing amateurs up, and the the sole reason for running this, this show, podcast is fantastic. I give awesome. give that a shout yeah. out as yeah, him and Brian as we're here with Brian. Yeah. Brian AC, it's great. Yeah, it, I, I just love the guy. And what was nice is my my second pro fight down on Portsmouth Pier mm. uh, against Paul Jenkins. I was the main event, 
uh, Brad was on the card and I obviously had never heard of him before yeah. little guy comes in with his hat on yeah. one punch I'm thinking oh, I'm going to have to watch this kid oh, 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 was his nose already at that shape it or was, was it a lot straighter on? it was a lot straighter <laughs> <laughs> I actually saw a photograph on him the other day I didn't, I didn't recognise him he was oh, really? one of his younger fight photos <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah but it was you know it was a great fight I remember coming out of the dressing rooms to watch it because uh, it was a couple of fights before mine and I wanted to come out and watch it just because the way he carried himself. You know, yeah. he was just so confident, so sure of himself, and he had a big fan fan base down there already. Everybody wearing the same hats and stuff. So, not the guy out in one punch. Perfect, perfect knockout. And then the next time I shared a card with him was in Nottingham. Yeah. And again, knocked a guy out with one punch. Knocked Eve Jabay out with a right beautiful uppercut. Yeah, yeah, beautiful uppercut. And then, and I tell you. <laughs> And right before that, the day before, we're standing backstage at the weigh-ins, and uh, he was saying, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna knock him out, I'm gonna knock him out, and I'm gonna do Gangnam style afterwards." <laughs> I said, "Oh, okay." I mean, obviously, you know, it was, Gangnam style was rife at that point, yeah. and I knew that if he did it, the whole Nottingham Arena would would go go up. Um, but yeah, it just played out perfectly for him. Amazing. Was, yeah. But yeah, it, it's it's one that I can't wait for, and uh, yeah, it's going to be a beautiful one. Before we wrap things up completely, then just that's just made me think of of someone I want to ask you about um, MVP. Yeah, I think I've 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 seen him live a few times. I was I was in I was at the event where he he, he did the Pokemon celebration afterwards, and he he, he seems to have this like the skies are the limit for, for that boy. He had a Good test in his last fight. He had yeah. a rough night out there, and it wasn't. I'd go as, and I'm a fan, and I know him. I'd go as far as to say that was one of the least enjoyable fights I've watched in a while. It was, it, yeah, it, it it wasn't a good night out for him. But he's an amazing fighter, and he, I'd argue more so than Anderson. Even it's so hard to tell what he's going to do and where it's going to come from. It seems yeah. to be just in a similar way to John Jones would, was kind of. He'd been training for three years or something and he was beating everyone in the world and he was saying how a lot of stuff he'd see in a computer game or, or so on and so forth. I did a thing at, at Comic-Con interviewing um, a Michael Venom Page and he was saying exactly that. He was saying, I often play computer games to get ideas mm. and I'll see the way a character moves or something and I'll go, I could do something with that. Yeah. That's mind-blowing to me. It, it is. you know, And he's, he's one of those, just like John Jones, he's one of those people that is that very, very fortunate combination of physical ability and creative mindedness yeah, yeah and we don't see that very often particularly in a sport of mixed martial arts where everyone's always trying to do what is safest yeah because you can really get hurt in this sport mm. so when you have someone who takes risks and and anderson silver obviously is a great example who yeah. who took risks and paid for it yeah. later on in his career but even anderson silver was orthodox in the most unorthodox way completely you know just like it, roy it, jones it, it annoys me when people say that that Anderson threw that fight away for it, it's like no, he did what he's been hugely yeah. successful for his whole career. Yeah, it, what people loved him for. Yeah, it, it wasn't him being silly or showboat. It's a valid tactic to get you th- throwing from uncomfortable positions, off balance, and things like that. So yeah, but yeah, that's me going off on a tangent, getting <laughs> angry at people saying yeah. that. But yeah, it's, it is ex- exactly that. It's so unorthodox, and the distance he can close the speed with which his his reaction time has said that cyborg um knee that was was brutal was just it seemed so casual yeah but yeah electric and and the other thing i i love about him as well and obviously you know 
I'll be, I'll be, I'll be even more impressed when I see these performances against higher level competition. Completely. And a, a few years back, you we would be saying, and I mentioned this to Rory, I would be sat saying he needs to be tested in the UFC. But Bellator have invested in that division, so I think he can yeah. be tested in Bellator. I still want to see him in the UFC in the end, but oh, yeah. I don't think it's any more a case of you can't tell until until you get to the big show. I think they've got yeah. they've got Lima, they've got Daly, they've got Rory, they've got Koscheck, they've got a lot of yeah. a lot of people there that can. Uh, there are there are lots of good matchups for him. I, I just I hope that he's that he's that he's given the right opportunities at the right time. Yeah, I agree. I, I'd like to see more of him. I'd like to yeah. hear more of him. I'd like to see him pushed in the mainstream media yeah, a bit more. He's just started a podcast as well. You Has know? he really? Yeah, I'm, not, I'm, I'm sure I saw that today. But, right. But if he has, I'll mention it in the out, outro and mm. give, give details. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I said, he is that special combination and, and he is very marketable and he's very, very intelligent as well. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? He knows how to play the game. It's, it's what got me. And as I said, it's, it's, it, it made me think of it... B- b- because of the gangnam style thing, but it's the perfect combination. The, 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 that Pokemon celebration at the height of Pokemon Go, it would have been all right if it got an average win. But when you you finish with yeah. what got voted the, the knockout of the year on most MMA sites, and you've got a current celebration that's yeah. that's, that's just. <laughs> It's a killer combination. Yeah. No, he, he, I mean he hit it out of the ballpark with that one. Yeah. And he, the other thing is the other thing that he has, which I love, is he has that Mark Hunt confidence in his power. Yeah. That when he lands a shot and he knows it's over, he it can he can enjoy it right in that moment. Yeah. You know, there are very few people that can do that. Nassim was another one. Yeah. You know, he yeah. knew once he touched somebody with that punch and they were on the way, yeah. now he can put the show on. Yeah. You know, and, it's that and posing just before it crosses. Of the line, and there's nothing like it. It's no, just so. No, I mean, I can't remember who it was. Was it? Uh, I want to say Mar- Marchin. His name was. I can't remember his last name. The kid that he did the the three sixty spinning kick. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, him yeah, out. yeah. Yeah. Now to know that you've landed landed a shot, it, it, you know, hard enough to knock the guy out, and be able to stand and pose and stare out of the cage. Yeah. As he staggers off and falls. Oh, with your back to him, essentially. Yeah. Side on, at least, kind of yeah. thing. Just yeah, it's it's the one up to the the Mark Hunt walk off. Yeah, you know? yeah, and that's I mean that's that's a very special thing. I never had the calmness of mind to do that. No. The, the best I could do was to pick my next punch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was the, that was the only thing, and that was something I used to mention this in the book. That was something uh, Ricardo Laborio told me one time. He was like, when you see a guy go down, don't rush in and throw loads of shots and go wild. Yeah. Pause. Take a minute and pick the one punch that you want to land. Yeah. yeah. Now, I mean, it, like when I fought Rory Markham, I remember doing exactly that yeah. in that moment. But that was that would have been one of those punches I could have easily done a walk off knockout. Yeah. Yeah. I just yeah, couldn't yeah. help myself though. You know what I mean? It's well, it's that, that what, has to be on the on the bucket list for your return. <laughs> now, the only an exclusive, the only reason Dan Hardy wants to come back is to get that walk off <laughs> knockout because he's never had oh, the calmness. But now yeah. he's in touch with his reptiles. Self, he can. He's going to be able to get that walk That's off. It. Right? That's well, it. thank you very much for giving me your time. It's a pleasure as ever to chat. And yeah, uh, yeah I can't wait to get my teeth into the book properly. And uh, yeah, yeah, we'll talk again soon. Definitely, always good to talk to you, mate. Thanks for having me on. Man, uh, how good was that? I mean, 
at the last time we sat down and chat, it turned into t- t- two episodes, and we spoke for over three hours, I think. I cut it short this time, but we could have kept going on and on and on. But he's a wonderful dude, and the book is, is looking fa- fascinating, so I'm hugely excited about that. Another thing I'm hugely excited about is UFC London at the weekend. But another thing I'm hugely excited about is Friday's episode with Rory McDonald. It's the first time he's been on. I'm very excited about it. Check that out. That's episode 142. Download and subscribe and all that kind of thing. If you if you if you do subscribe and set it to auto download, then you you don't have to worry. It'll just turn up. So check that out. And I will leave you there and see you on Friday. Ta ta.